in the city. You must fight to survive. And sometimes, that city is also a cartoon world. And it's also seriously fucked up and kind of weirdly horny. And also, real people come there sometimes. And I don't mean, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Cool World. That didn't sound very cool. I watched Cool World. No. I watched Cool World. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia for your opinions on them. Today is a very special episode. We have a return guest. Andrew Zorberg is on the show, uh, and we're covering a pretty wild movie, so that's pretty special, too. But welcome back to the show, Andrew. It's been a minute. Thanks. Yeah. Good to be back. I'm uh, trying to even remember. What have we done? We did we did uh, Tank Girl, obviously. I think we did Kingdom of Heaven after that. We did oh, another yeah. one. Kingdom of Heaven. That was a fun one. I actually like that movie. <laughs> I think I'm missing one that we did, but I'm forgetting. But I don't remember. I remember those two. I don't. I don't Maybe it was just the we... two. Maybe this is the third one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we were living in Cool World all along. But yeah, today we're we <laughs> to uh, show show my hand a little bit. Uh, our choices today were we were either going to do Cool World or we were going to do The Big Lebowski. <laughs> Uh, we went, I kind of went with cool. World. To be fair, I did. I did literally flip a coin. Uh, I, I got online and typed in like flip a coin, and before I even chose what I wanted it to be, I, I was like, Big Lebowski will be heads, Cool World will be tails, and it flipped tails. But I, before I was ready, so I was like, okay, this one, that one doesn't count, and I flipped it again. And I was like, if it's tails again, then it's got to be Cool World for sure. And then it was, and I was like, okay, I guess we're doing Cool <laughs> World. <laughs> so this was this was destiny. This was fate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah cool world so i think it's i don't know how well known it is i think people kind of like you, you see the image right you like a lot of people have seen a picture of hollywood and like brad pitt standing next to each other i think people kind of have a rough idea of what it is but it's a pretty underground ish cult movie uh I, I definitely don't think it's got the infamy that say something like who frame roger rabbit does but i guess my questions are what is your relationship with Ralph Bakshi and what's your relationship with Cool World in general? Um, yeah, so I saw Cool World sometime back in the 90s. Pretty sure I did not see it in the theaters. Uh, but I, I remember, you know, seeing it on, I don't know, home video or something. Um, and I just kind of have always loved the movie. I like that sort of the style that we get like with this or, or uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit with the live action and cartoons sort of uh uh that crossover and there's you know there's really not that many movies that do that so um it's it's in a, a you know a field that's pretty small so it stands out just for that reason if nothing else yeah it's like this um, who frame roger rabbit the two looney tunes movies like space jam uh, space jam right <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen either of the space jam movies oh really i haven't seen the new one uh, I grew up watching the first one a lot. I, I was a big basketball head when I was a kid, and I was a Bulls fan like everybody else because I didn't have any loyalties. And I was like, the Bulls win all the time, and they're awesome. Plus, they're kind of nearby. So I'm like, I had a, I had a, I remember I had a giant poster of like 
all the main bowls players and it was like they're celebrating their like season where they got 80 wins in one season which is like insane um so like it's like michael jordan's in a movie with some cartoons this is fun i used to watch that movie all the time when i was a kid one of my probably biggest hot takes like literally probably one of my biggest film hot takes is space jam is a terrible movie and every time i've watched it since i I have enough nostalgia wrapped up in it that i still find it pretty watchable but like structurally and and stuff it's like a terrible movie michael jordan is a fucking terrible actor uh and he's essentially our main character uh (laughs) but i mean it's i don't know it's it was funny watching cool world i'm very aware that there's a certain subset of people who are very influenced by the looney tunes and just that type of humor you know because i think that is kind of rife in this movie as well with some of the background gags that are happening just visual it's like visual slapstick but with cartoons right where they're just like bonking each other on the head and chasing each other around with axes and safes are falling on them and shit and that humor has just never been my thing like looney tunes humor has never really been my thing uh so i mean is i mean is that up your like alley at all or um i mean not really it's you know i I grew up watching you know looney tunes and and animaniacs and you know other sort of uh uh shows within those genre or within that genre um it's not something that i particularly love especially as an adult it's like that's you know that's really not going to do a whole lot for me i think the animaniacs is the one that i can go back to as an adult and still appreciate a lot of right. you know what they're doing. But you know, in some of the older Looney Tunes, like sketches are, are really smart and, and witty. Um, but that, that sort of, you know, just bonking each other on the head sort of slapstick doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the personality that they give the characters in space jam. Like they feel more fully formed as characters. Like, and then they introduce Lola Bunny, who's kind of a standout. Not that I'm like a furry or anything, but, you know, I think she, old Lola Bunny unlocked a lot of things for a generation, for sure, for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Um, are you, do you, have you watched much Ralph Bakshi? Um, I'm, I've watched some of his stuff. I'm, I, this is the only one of his movies that I've seen more than once. And so what else have I seen? I've seen, like, he did, like, The Lord of the Rings, I think. Um, which is not good. Yeah, I mean, it, it has its strong points, but overall, the experience is not great. I haven't seen it, but I've watched clips of it. And the thing that really stood out to me is, uh, if you if you're more familiar with uh, the um, why am I blanking on the director of the live action Lord of the Rings? Jackson. Movies? Uh, if you're if you're more familiar with the Jackson movies, uh, the difference between Bakshi's <laughs> Samwise and Jackson's Samwise is unbelievable. Like if you if you guys just want to like be amused for a second, like go look up the scene where they like meet Strider for the first time. Like like Sam in the Bakshi movies is the most obnoxious fucker you've ever met in your entire <laughs> life. He's so annoying. He's just this whiny little pissant. It's so funny that he's like a lot of people say he's pretty much the hero of the Jackson trilogy, and he's so like steadfast and and honorable and and like courageous and stuff. Whereas in the boxy movies he's a fucking twit he's so annoying (laughs) (laughs) although there's things about the boxy movies that are more true to the books i guess uh but as as a pretty diehard 
a live action Lord of the Rings fan. I've never really given the Bakshi movies that much of the time of day. Yeah. I don't know if he's the one that did the Hobbit as well. Uh, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what he did. He did one or two out of the. I seen did three all together. I think I've seen bits and pieces of the Hobbit cartoon movie. I remember seeing that as a child and being like, "Oh, this is neat." Uh, the Hobbit to me has always been more of a child story, yeah, in general, anyway. But yeah, um, um but back, back she did like he's more well known, I think, for Fritz the Cat as in right. American Pop, which I've seen Fritz the Cat and I've seen Wizards, and I saw both of those like fifteen years ago or more. Um, okay. And, so I, I liked both of them, but they didn't leave as strong of an impression on me. And I haven't really seen any of his other work beyond, I think, the, those three. Um, so he did Heavy Traffic, Fire and Ice, and um, uh, American Pop. So I haven't seen any of those. So I'd, I'd like to see those. Um, and, and just rewatching this, I'm kind of excited to go and check those out and, and maybe revisit Fritz the Cat and revisit Wizards as well. Yeah, I want I I want to check out more of his stuff because he definitely has a very uh like you know when you're watching like a Ralph Bakshi thing, it's so distinct. Uh, yeah. Ironically, yeah, like cool, cool World with uh different types of styles is almost like sort of a lot different than some of the other stuff he did because there's a pretty consistent art style across a lot of his movies. I weirdly uh I, a TikTok or, or like a Facebook video came up and it was just like a 10 minute scene from fire and ice. I saw this like less than a month ago. So Ralph Bakshi's kind of been on my mind. Cause okay. Like in his art style is interesting. Cause what's funny is what I don't understand why, cause as far as I understand, uh, like fire and ice, especially uh, was like sort of a rotoscoped movie where they just kind of like had the actors acted out and then they just kind of drew over it. That's part of why the motions are so fluid. And stuff I'm, like that. Yeah, I'm not even familiar with it. I kind of know the name, and that's about it. Yeah, it's it's worth watching. The, the The clip that I saw was insane, though, because it's like I don't know what the plot of the movie is, but this girl's been like kidnapped by these like caveman people, and then they like rip her dress off. So she's just like literally in her bra and panties. And it's like ten minutes of her like running through a jungle, being chased, like basically nude. That's something that's interesting about Bakshi is uh, he's definitely the godfather of cartoons can be horny too uh <laughs> like right right yeah and cool, cool world is is much tamer than like fritz the cat so. and that's how familiar are you with like the sort of production woes of cool world like have you read up on any of that stuff uh no i don't know anything and i was kind of looking at, i have it on dvd and there's no special features on the dvd <laughs> at least not the version i have i don't know if there's other versions yeah, like i didn't do a heavy amount of research but it's my understanding that like Ralph Bakshi was kind of out of the game for a little bit. And then he wrote this script where like he wanted to merge real life stuff with cartoon stuff. And he basically his original story that Paramount, I think it was Paramount that he worked with bought was uh, this real life person and this cartoon woman have sex and they have a child. This child is sort of a, part human, part cartoon abomination who uh, decides to take revenge on his father for creating him, essentially. And it was meant to be this hard R horror movie where the villain was like half cartoon who wanted to kill his father. And then somehow that became Cool World. <laughs> uh, at some point, they were like, no, nah, we're not going to do the hard R thing. We're going to try to aim for like a PG-13 which is insane because this movie's so horny. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, but then there is a moment, there's a point where like, there's a point where I was like, I love how horny this movie is because you just don't see that kind of stuff. Like I, I've, I've gone on and on about how I miss like the nineties erotic thrillers and then like movies just aren't sexy anymore. Yeah. It's just at all. And like, it's tough because like, there's also an exploitation element of, of certain like older film and things like that. But it's just like, I like the sleaze. I like the sexiness. Uh, so when this movie is just being sleazy, I'm enjoying it. But then you do see the elements like where it clearly got reined in. Because I don't know, I haven't seen Fritz the Cat, but it's kind of infamous for being explicit, right? It's like yeah. a pretty explicit movie. Yeah, it's very raunchy. Uh, like I don't think you see any, like you see nipples like through dresses in this movie, but you never see any nudity. No, like, which just seems like an insane thing. No, I, I think it was actually. I mean, for the movie that we have, it's probably better to have this be a PG thirteen movie because it does. Like, there's definitely a lot of adolescent energy, and I think if you just had this movie, but an R rated R version of it, it it really wouldn't benefit from anything that's not there now. To a certain extent, I I just I could definitely even if they threw out the horror abomination trying to kill his father elements of the film you know there's literally a scene where brad pitt goes humans can't fuck cartoons or in this world noids can't fuck doodles and i was like this is like i've never seen a movie that's i mean talk about tension you know like to me the most interesting part of the movie is his relationship with lonette yeah and i'm just like they're they're we love each other but we could never be together dramatic irony is like very tantalizing to me it's very uh if you read like fan fiction and you kind of get off on that kind of like erotic fan fiction this sort of taboo we could never be together relationship like i was like into it uh, and i wanted to know where it was going and like how they were going to resolve it like i could see a version of this movie like I, i wanted like like when Holly finally fucks Jack, and by the way, big spoilers for Cool World, guys. Uh, uh, go check it out. You can find it places. It's fine. Um, but I kind of wanted Pitt to be like, you know what? She fucked him. I don't even care anymore. Let's just fuck. Like, I kind of just wanted him to throw <laughs> his morals aside, but obviously he wouldn't be our hero if he just tossed his morals aside like that, but I kind of just wanted him to say, fuck it. You know what? I don't care anymore. She already ruined, broke the seal. <laughs> like, like I don't know. I, like I wanted it to focus more on the adult relationships and the sex and the, like her mm-hmm. honey trapping this guy and like I don't know. Like there is like a moment probably like thirty forty minutes into this movie where I was like, I think I like Hollywood better than I like Jessica Rabbit because that's obviously the one to one, right? You have yeah. like Jessica Rabbit, who's this like bombshell, sexy cartoon redhead that even if people don't want to admit it, they've all they all secretly want to fuck Jessica Rabbit. And, like you watch. Cool, cool World felt like a like a more honest, like, yeah, we all want to fuck Hollywood, right? <laughs> like, the most unrealistic part of this movie is when Brad Pitt's like, oh, she tries to fuck guys all the time, but no one's ever actually done it. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean no one's ever done it? <laughs> they haven't, because Brad Pitt's there enforcing the law. I guess. I'm like, Hollywood would have me instantaneously. It would be over for the world. Uh, I'd be such an easy mark. As far as that goes, (laughs) like the problem is like, I like a bad girl too. Like I like that. She's kind of evil. So like, I think in this movie, Jack is like, Oh, you're, you're actually mean. I don't really, there's like a weird element with that. But I've been like, no, you're, you're a piece of shit. I don't care. Like, that's awesome. (laughs) But, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't. This is definitely the first Bakshi movie I've ever watched from beginning to end, which is probably yeah, a weird entry point. Well, like for... I said, I, th- <laughs> this was the first one that I watched too. Um, in in I watched it when I was a teenager, so I didn't even have a concept at that point in time who uh, Ralph Bakshi was. And then it's like later in my twenties, you know, I, a buddy of mine was like, "Oh yeah, you know, talking about Fritz the Cat," and in uh, I watched Wizards, you know, some point in, in my twenties too. Um, and so then I sort of became more familiar with him as a, as a filmmaker. And it's my understanding that even among ba- uh, Bakshi fans that like, this is not one of the, you know, he's got a cult following and I, I don't think even like Bakshi fans are like really big on this movie. So yeah, it's tough because if you look deep enough, it sure seems like this movie was borderline taken away from him. So I could see why Bakshi diehards maybe don't really give this movie the time of day. Because technically, it's not true to what his vision was supposed to be. Yeah, and I, you know, I would love to see what he envisioned, but it's also like by the '90s, I think he was almost a borderline. I mean, he's always been kind of a lunatic. Like, <laughs> but the thing is, it's one of those things where Bakshi's obviously like a crazy person to a certain extent, but also seems to politically align up with a lot of my political ideals in a weird way. You, you ever feel like that, where you're like? Ah, uh, this guy's a lunatic, but I also kind of agree with some of the stuff he's oh, saying. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what does that mean for me? <laughs> you know, because like Wizards is like what? Full of like Nazi propaganda. I mean, in the sense that it's like anti-Nazi and anti-fascism and all that stuff. And I mean, I'm very anti-fascism <laughs> too. I mean, most people at first blush should be, but hey, you know, um, that's not the world we're living sometimes. <laughs> but it's interesting because... You go on like Letterboxd. I was trying to like all of his movies are none of them are terribly well rated on for Letterboxd standards. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings three point one, Wizards three point three. That's not too bad. Fritz the Cat three point one. I love the uh, banner here where it's just Fritz the Cat with his hand down his girlfriend's shirt. Here I'm just like <laughs> yeah, pretty much tells yeah. you tells you what that's all about. Fire and Ice three point one. I'm noticing there's this movie called Coonskin that's three point five. So it's like. But the, the thing is, like, sometimes when you go, like, deeper into their uh, oeuvre or whatever, some of the stuff is rated better just because it's more culty and right. not that many people have watched it. And the people that have are just fans. So who knows if American Pop at 3.7 means it is his best movie or if it's just not a lot of people other than Bakshi fans have seen it. I don't know for sure. I think most people have probably seen his Lord of the Rings work because Lord of the Rings has such a big fandom of course they would seek it out you know? right well i mean if nothing else like the name is popular and like like that alone gets you know those dvds like stocked at walmart at least you know back i don't know if walmart even still has dvds but you know what i mean like like you know 10 years ago 20 years ago it's like you could buy the lord of the rings dvds in walmart like you right. were buy cool world or fritz the cat right you know in, in yeah, i mean fritz the cat you have to I think that's an X-rated movie, so it's Might like be, yeah. you have to like you have to go to a super spicy section of your uh, like a random Suncoast video or something to find Fritz the Cat. Probably remember Suncoast video? Yeah, uh, I used to like. I always liked the place, but like there were so, the prices were so expensive. I was like, I'm just gonna go to Best Buy. <laughs> yeah, I loved going around there though, and they had like the spicy section in the back. They had like all this hentai. I would just kind of like mosey back there and just be like, I feel like I'm like breaking the law by like looking through. Uh, I, I don't even know how old I would have been doing that. Cause like if I was after 18, I could have just, you know, 
bought them, <laughs> but I, I must have been like under 18 when I was doing that. <laughs> and I didn't spend enough time at like uh, video rental places to like go through the beaded curtain or anything like that, <laughs> where presumably Fritz the Cat would be. I don't know. I, I do admire Bakshi for being so unabashedly horny. <laughs> <laughs> like with the like fire and ice was like a real thing to like see that clip from because it's just like yeah it's just a scantily clad woman running around the forest and then even the villain in the movie is like very hornily drawn if that's even yeah. a word but <laughs> it's like i don't know like i i feel like cool world watching this i liked how they weren't trying to pretend like it was something that it wasn't you yeah. know it's like no hollywood is like gonna be scantily clad and her boobs are just gonna be popping out in every scene, and she's just kind of gonna gyrate and dance, and that's just like what she does. Uh, but she's also like a badass. Like I kind of love Hollywood, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like I said, it's a very adolescent movie. Like you know, I think I think there's at least on the surface, it has this like you said, this very horny adolescent appeal to it. But then you know, Holly as a character has, and Jack even as a character, even though he's not you know a teenager by any stretch but it's like he still has a more of an adolescent attitude of i'm just gonna you know i'm this famous artist and i'm gonna do what i want and and holly just has this attitude of like i want to be real and she's just dead set on it and it's there's no real thought behind it it's just a, it, almost compulsive well yeah because like there's a point there's definitely a point for me where i i'm i'm like the driving force of this movie is Hollywood's desire to be real. And that could be compelling. She has like one decent horny monologue. <laughs> Everything in this movie is very horny. When she's talking to Frank, who's Brad Pitt's character, where she's like, it feels real when they taste, they taste or whatever. And so you get a glimpse of like why she would desire this. But when you see her like life in Cool World, she's like the queen of Cool World. You know, we're introduced to these like weird cartoon characters who are very menacing or whatever. They like are abusing this little bunny and they're like slashing her up. And there's like a big guy and a crazy guy. And they seem like very intimidating, right? But then, like, when Hollywood shows up, they're completely deferential to her. And like, I remember when that scene happened being like, oh, she's like the most powerful person here. Uh, like, she's like the queen of this world, essentially. And yet, for some reason, she wants to go be a, a nobody in the human world. And it's hard to sort of fully wrap your head around why well, she would desire that so No, much. I, I don't think she wants... She definitely doesn't want to be a nobody in the human sure, world. She sure, She has this idea that all she needs to do to be... Basically, be Marilyn Monroe 2.0 is just cross over. And that's it. Like, that's a very good point. There's no... There's no no real plan behind it or no conception that there would even need to be a plan. It's just like, I'm hot and I can sing and dance. And that's all that is needed for me to, you know, be the queen of this even yeah. better world in, in her opinion. And again, it's, I don't even think it's, it's, I think the temptation for her is almost just like the grass is greener. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it really is just, it boils down to that of that world looks shiny and new because it's not where i'm at now yeah yeah no that totally makes sense in terms of like of course she just thinks she's gonna go rule that world too i almost just wanted to see her but i mean i guess she goes for the spike like she's just gonna unleash cool world it kind of does all track actually uh but you, you almost just kind of want to see her like 
getting gut checked a couple more times in like the real world a little bit. Uh, but we'll get there. I don't know. Like, I guess we could just dive right into the movie. I didn't, I didn't know if there's anything else overall you wanted to discuss. Like, I am curious, like, you know, you say you saw this at a fairly young age, like how much of an impact did it have on you? Like at the time, like, I can't imagine watching this as like a 13 year old. <laughs> like, I feel like I'd be, uh, it'd be interesting. Uh, I don't know. Like it didn't have a huge impact on me. Um, it, it was just a, a movie that I always kind of thought was fun. Um, and, and I sort of, you know, I enjoy being in this world, you know, very similar again to, to just who framed Roger Rabbit, you know, in this like cool it's just world, this, this fun <laughs> sort of, you know, world to, to inhabit for 90 minutes or, or whatever. Um, and I think watching it this, this time I've noticed there's a lot of actual, uh, depth to the movie that I don't really, I don't think I appreciated before. So okay. I've seen the movie probably four or five times before this. Um, but it's been probably 10 years since I've watched it. So, but, but yeah, my, my sense of it before was just like, this is a fun movie that, you know, I just enjoy spending time, you know, in, in the world with these characters. And there's something just compelling about the, the art in, of, of the whole thing and just the world that, that Ralph Bakshi creates with it. And, and just this, weird fusion of there's like a little bit of a film noir vibe and then in the especially with like the buildings and whatnot you get a little bit of like like a almost like a dr caligari like for anybody that's not not didn't go to film school or whatever it's like this german expressionism that's very sort of Mm -hmm. dark and where where everything is like like bigger and weirder than life but in in this sort of dark demonic almost sort of way just the the goofy cartoons and like there's just all these things that are mashed together and it doesn't feel like it would all even go together but it kind of does um and just the the soundtrack and the score of the movie yeah really ties it together too and you know these sort of elements of like electronic dance and then there's some jazz and then there's some like hard rock and like heavy metal kind of stuff (laughs) and, and and like it's all kind of has this dark kind of gothy tone to it and uh so it's just a, a a fun a fun movie to to sit with yeah it's one of those things where watching this it's it's almost impossible not to compare it to Roger Rabbit right, right? um this came i think 3 years after and i mean there's things where i think what's tough for me on like a subjective level is i think in terms of like loving the sleaze and sexiness of stuff that cool world on a surface level would be more up my alley but the problem is like roger rabbit is just so well made that it's kind of undeniable um and so it's hard to like when i'm looking between these two movies i'm just like yeah i like how horny cool world is and how it's mashing up these like more dark goth elements and uh the music is i i I did like the music a lot but then there's times where you just you when if you watch roger rabbit you see how immaculately the compositing is done where every, they they just were so thoughtful of how to you know even just little things like they at, at the restaurant they built the stage like like six feet off the floor so that people could walk around underneath it carrying real trays that like the tunes are carrying so that mm-hmm. they could like composite real objects with the tunes and stuff like that and then you watch something like this and brad pitt like trying to massage 
Lonnie's shoulders, you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's so poorly done, which is weird to me because, like I said, like with Fire and Ice, that's like a rotoscoped movie. And I never in a million years would have thought like they wouldn't just rotoscope like Lonnie and Holly so that their interactions with Pitt and Gabriel Byrne would, you know, track better. But it doesn't seem like they did that. I, right. I don't know what they did to to composite this together, but it's bad. Like, um, like it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. Some of the blocking's bad. Like in in any point where you've got like the real characters touching the cartoon characters, it just it looks awkward. Um, <laughs> I, mean, so I don't know. Like I can't defend it. I I think you know for me it's I can say like part of it is you know I love the movie enough and and I'm invested enough that. It just, it, it almost just feels like, oh, that's the, the brushwork or, or, you know, it's the imperfection on it that, you know, it's, it's almost charming if you're, if you look at it the right way. But in any case, it doesn't, I think if, you know, if you're on the the level of this movie, you know, it's something that you're, you're going to forgive or, you know, and if you're not, if you're not on the level of the movie, you're not going to forgive it. And it's just going to be another barrier. Yeah, I mean, I found it charming. It didn't, like, ruin the movie for me or anything. But it's just, it's like, it's, I think Jurassic Park is, like, a classic example where people are like, that movie came out in, like, 1993, and it has, like, CGI in it that holds up to this day. And then you see a movie from, like, 2000, and it's like, how did you, how did this movie come out, like, seven years after Jurassic Park and look so shitty? It's like, how do you have something like Roger Rabbit where the compositing is so immaculate. The eye lines are always perfect. And then you cut to three years later with Cool World. <laughs> like they can't even like they're not even looking in the right direction. Like what was going on? I would uh, have to imagine a, <laughs> still, there's probably a pretty big budget difference. Probably, yeah. That's fair. You. Uh and like I said, I, I there's definitely a lot of rumors that Box she kind of checked out a little bit in, in the director's seat at times too, where you know, like a lot of the background stuff and like the cartoons that are going on in Cool World was just a lot of uh, him being like, ah, draw whatever you want. I'll throw it in. Definitely uh, seems that way. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's a lot of randomness. <laughs> like one of the best scenes in the movie is when Pitt visits Holly for the first time. But then it's just it's also like they have this one animation that they play of this crowd sort of running in front of them. And it's like this half done animation and they play it like twice on a loop. And I was like, what am I looking at right now? <laughs> yeah, very strange. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty wild. It, the whole movie feels like such a fever dream, but kind of in a good way. Uh, it, it's weird. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. As far as, um, it's also interesting too, because as far as like the cast goes, I, I don't really know most of them that well. Uh, well, you've got your three leads. You've got, you know, Gabriel Byrne, Brad Pitt, and... And Kim Basinger. Yeah, because like I pulled him up and I was like, Gabriel Byrne, he's definitely been in some movies that I've seen, but not as many as I would have guessed. Like, I recognize the name. I'm like, I've seen Hereditary and The Usual Suspects. But other than that, I'm not seeing a whole lot. And then Kim Basinger, it's like, I, I obviously have heard her name, but even looking, it's like she's in The Nice Guys, but I don't remember who she is in Nice Guys. Uh, She's in Batman. Presumably yeah. she's the one that's, Michael Keaton is like love interest. I assume in that, right? I, I don't. She was one of those names that, like, you know, back in you know 1990, 
It's just, you know, everybody knew her as like the hot young actress. Just one of those, you know. Yeah, like there's a lot so of. So I know her name like like more than I know her work. Right. Just I mean, from her being in Batman 89 is probably the one other standout that I know her from. I guess she's in Cellular, which I've actually seen a couple times. <laughs> the movie where uh, cell phones were new and she accidentally calls Chris Evans and he needs to like save her from Jason Statham. I've seen that one a couple times. <laughs> uh, looks like she's in Wayne's World too. Uh, I know you like the Wayne's World movies. Yeah. Uh, but she had enough pull for on this movie to, there's like a pretty famous story that like goes around that's like, oh yeah, the movie was supposed to be rated R, but Kim Basinger was like, I'd like the I'd like the kids that I visit at the hospital to be able to watch this movie. We should we should make it like PG thirteen and like I don't know how true that story is because that seems like an insane thing to say, but it's I've also seen it repeated enough to be like, hmm. I don't know maybe it's true. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I, I noticed that people seem to trash her the most for this film. Uh, like they're not very impressed with the performance. I thought she was fine. I thought she was great in this. Like I mean, it's a very <laughs> It's not like a, a realistic or grounded performance. But right. I think what she brings to the role is is really good and spot on for, you know, it, it kind of working in this like weird, crazy, well, Ralph Bakshi <laughs> world. Yeah. I mean, I think she works when she's the cartoon. I think she really works live action. She's doing her best to sort of embody the cartoon character. And I think she's trying her best, honestly. I just think there's like, I mean, Bakshi obviously isn't that familiar with like live action film. I think when you watch this movie, the live action parts are obviously like not as stellar as like someone who's really experienced that that kind of stuff would sure. make them. It's a lot of really basic stuff, like a lot of very basic mediums and sort of close ups, but not really. Whereas, like, I feel like they could have done a lot more with the camera work yeah. for, for the live action stuff to really sell. Like, well, even in the live world, it's a little bit off kilter a little bit more cartoony but again i don't know what the budget was for the film so maybe it's like no this these are what this is what you get you have a camera on a tripod like fuck you uh, <laughs> but i think she does a good job i think gabriel byrne is fine uh i really like brad pitt in this his his character is wild and i've never really seen him do a character like this they, they kind of get to do this thing where since he's from the 40s he gets to kind of be like a guy from the forties in a movie that's set in the nineties. So you get your classic film noir detective character, but it's, he's only kind of acting that way. Cause that's just the time period that he's from. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it just, I'm just like his voice that he's doing is just, I'm like, Whoa, this is <laughs> like, I've just never seen Brad Pitt do a character like this. I liked him a lot. He's obviously incredibly handsome and charismatic and stuff. Like I'm a, I'm a big Brad Pitt fan for sure. I, I think he's, I've said this before on the show. Um, I don't necessarily think he's underrated in the sense that, of course, he's like one of the most famous actors in the world, but I don't think people give him enough credit for his like character work. I think he's like one of the better character actors that we have, and we don't yeah. really appreciate that about him. Right. And so it's, it's especially fun to dive into some of his older stuff when he wasn't as big and he was doing these big swing characters, uh, sure. or he's like just doing something really different. And my go-to is always like California with a K where he's just like, yep, yeah, get down and burp, burp. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, but long time ago, <laughs> I didn't like it. So it's not a great movie, <laughs> uh, but 
I just always remember it because like the cast is insane. And he, oh yeah, and he's... Was, that, was that Juliette Lewis and David Duchovny? Yeah, is that it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. He's he's good in the movie for sure. You know, speaking of, that's kind of how we open the movie. If we want to dive in, yeah. Um, we see this plane come in, and this older woman is like waiting. She's clearly not sure. It, we we get like a a super that says it's like 1945 or whatever, or yeah, 45. Um, clearly these are like World War II vets, uh, coming back home. Um, but of course, since it's olden times, I, I think it's sort of implied that she doesn't know if her son's going to be on the plane or not. Uh, but she sees him, um, and we just get like sort of a weird long sequence where it's just like, uh, Brad Pitt and his mom just kind of hanging out a little bit. seems to really like his mom. seems like they get on well. Turns out he won a motorcycle when he was in Italy. So, uh, you know, as every older woman wants to do with her son they go on a motorcycle ride <laughs> together which i was like where is this going uh it was just i it was funny because like you know i think it's tough because you know we spend so a decent amount of time with brad pitt to the point where it feels like he's the main character but then like gabriel byrne gets big chunks of the movie too right but like at first you know as a first time viewer i'm watching this and being like okay brad pitt really loves his mom <laughs> we're really establishing that he loves his mom uh, uh we're still kind of doing that don't know what they're trying to like set up here uh but it turns out it's just like they're driving around in the deserts of vegas and this drunk couple who's just left this uh what do you call it a casino like a gambling den or whatever uh they're driving along the road I think, I mean, even me on the first, as a first time viewer, I'm starting to put the pieces together as to what's about to happen. Uh, sure enough, they whip onto the road right as Brad Pitt and his mom are trying to go by and big crash. They go flying. Brad Pitt has like PTSD flashbacks, which don't really factor in a ton into the movie. They just kind of, it's like, well, he was a soldier. He has this PTSD thing. The army crawls over to his mom, finds out she's dead, starts screaming for a medic. Uh, and we just kind of smash cut to this ambulance has shown up and the cops are there to, they're like taking away Brad Pitt's mom. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a interesting opening for the film. Like I kind of saw it coming, but I don't know. It's, it's a little dark, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I like the way it was, uh, uh, the, the sound was done with his flashback. So that kind of worked. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It works. Um, and then. I was watching, uh, one of the only videos I watched was I watched, uh, Nostalgia Critic's recent Cool World review, and he pointed out that, because it was like, you know, because I know Cool World's like a cartoon mashup movie, uh, you know, I was like, I knew the cartoons were going to get introduced somehow, but if you, like, had no idea what this movie was about, and you're just watching it, and Brad Pitt's, like, crying, and all of a sudden it just cuts to this weird little guy who's a cartoon who opens a portal into the real world. It's, it's very jarring, the pacing of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it had been, like uh, like I said, probably 10 years since I'd seen this last. I, I, I kind of forgot about the opening sequence. I was like, oh, we're doing this now. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we, we meet this character named Dr. Whiskers who's invented the power spike or whatever it's called. He opens a portal into the real world from the cartoon world and sucks Brad Pitt inside who, uh, just again, the, the choices are so interesting because it's like a Brad Pitt who just lost his mother and is still grieving has now been sucked into this weird cartoon world 
and he's kind of like trying to get a handle on what's going on and we just have dr whiskers like exposition dumping on us and brad pitt and i was just like what is happening right now (laughs) it's it's a lot (laughs) um but i think thematically there's something there like like with ptsd like he's going he's he's sort of getting divorced from the real world like he's he's disengaged from what's actually happening around him and then sort of like it doesn't work logically but sort of thematically then he's going to this other world that is you know quote unquote not the real world right so there's something there about his response to losing his mother is i'm not going to deal with the real world and you see that in his character throughout the movie like you know when when lanette's super upset of like like no you you're gonna go over there and you're gonna find some real woman he's like i don't want to go i don't want he's like i want to live here you know he doesn't want to go back to you know reality he doesn't want to go back to a world where he has to deal with people dying and he has to deal with like other things in the real world yeah and so so like like i said logically it doesn't the the pieces don't fit together that well but thematically like we're seeing a guy who is disengaging from his life yeah i think that's what uh something that's both interesting and frustrating about this film is i do think that especially thematically the pieces are there for an actually a fairly rich character study in a in a weird way uh because it is like a thought i have where i was like really like his mom just died and he's getting sucked into this new world but there was a part of me that's like you can read it as like a dissociation from reality and there's a whole version of this movie that you could say is just brad pitt hallucinating or whatever uh you know it could have been like fun to tease that maybe he was into reading comic books or something uh when he was over in the war and so he's got this like visions of cartoons in his head already and then when it gets like sucked in because i mean it's sort of established you never really see it but the people get sucked into cool world occasionally like it's talked about like jack is not the first noid to come into cool world besides frank right like frank says there's been several people that have come through like if you reach a certain dream state or disassociate enough or get close enough to the dimension doors or whatever that you can just cross over it is this other world that exists um and so and like dr whiskers pulls brad pitt and he's basically like oh man i don't even really know the power that i'm wielding he's like actually it's kind of good that you're here because you're gonna essentially become the 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 policeman that enforces this whole bullshit to make sure it doesn't all break down or whatever and and you're right like brad pitt's like uh sure i don't want to live in the real world anymore the only person that I had my life just died in a horrific motorcycle accident. So fuck it. Guess I'm here now. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it does all like thematically work pretty well, actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm noticing in my notes, it's just sort of worth mentioning that Brad Pitt's from Vegas. Uh, a lot of our real world stuff will happen in Vegas. I guess there's kind of parallels between Sin City and Cool World to a certain extent, but uh, if you want to like draw the parallels there, maybe that's why maybe the dimensions are weaker yeah. in that place just because it's uh well, people can escape into Vegas the same way you sort of, you know, 
that can use like cartoons as a as a form of escapism right something you know heightened and fantastical about the, the idea of vegas at least mm-hmm. and this sort of the fact that it's a it's a facade a lot of it's a you know a facade of like it's this beautiful oasis in the desert <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it's, i think it's it, totally man-made i think it's definitely relevant that it takes place just in vegas there's there's right thematic parallels for sure uh and i'm pretty surprising because i remember when the movie opened i was like oh this is like a 40s movie that's fun uh but no <laughs> uh turns out we cut to 1992 uh 47 years later we meet jack deebs uh he's in jail we don't know quite why yet but we'll find out later through some horribly delivered exposition uh <laughs> but he's he's drawing hollywood who we'll meet in a minute here he's basically like talking to his drawing like oh holly i wouldn't have survived jail without you and blah 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 and then some like cartoon arms comes out and you like hear her talk and he gets uh just sort of zapped into cool world again like you said uh logically not a lot of this makes a ton of sense uh thematically maybe a little bit more uh the the jack and holly seems to be able to pull jack into cool world when she feels like it i guess later if frank wants to go to the real world he just has to think about it a little bit and he gets to just go to cool world or i mean go to the real world like there's not a lot of logic to how any of these transportations are happening. Well, I think uh, it's one of those cases where they don't really tell you what the rules are, <laughs> and it's probably just as well because as soon as you establish the rules, then you know, the, as an audience member, you're like, yeah, but what about this? And it's like, if they don't tell you the rules, you can't even pick. There's not enough there for you even to sort of pick apart. I definitely felt like that for sure. I, there's a moment. There's moments where I was like, I guess since they're not just exposition dumping how any of this works. I don't really have any grounds to question why anything's happening, but it definitely is a kick in the balls towards the end where, by the way, guys, big spoilers for cool world, uh, where in order to like give Frank and Lana a happy ending, they just kind of go, wait, what about this rule that we've never mentioned before? Oh, cool. Everything works out. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, like, I guess since I'm talking about it, I'll say it now. Like I was like, very invested in Frank and Lonnie's relationship and I wanted them to find a way to be together. And even still when they pulled that bullshit, I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? So I just sort of, I don't know. It's, it's this weird tightrope you have to walk between like establishing how your world works, but not giving yourself so much rope that you hang yourself. But this, this movie just fully chooses to be like, nah, we're not even going to talk about it. It's just going to happen, which is a vibe. For sure. Uh, and there's definitely a moment where I just go, sure, why not? Like when I'm watching the movie. This right. is the kind of movie that I could also see very much like growing on me yeah. as time goes on where it's like I stop just questioning the things that don't make a lot of sense and I just kind of ride the waves. Well, <laughs> I, I think for me, and I've noticed I, I'm, I'm one of those people that I can pick apart things when they don't make sense, but I, I've noticed like like Robert Rodriguez specifically, like I, I we kind of had that attitude with some of like his work, like uh, Desperado and watching that and be like, this is kind of rough because it's, it, it feels like it's, but I, 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 anyways, um, I don't do that with movies that have this very heightened cartoony sense. Right. So with like, when I saw Rodriguez as Sin City, I'm like, yeah, that stuff doesn't make sense logically, but I'm like, it's in this very cartoony world. So I'm just like, it's fine. 
Sure, and, sure. And I think that I have that same sense with like this movie. That's where, a good like, point. Like nothing, you know, a lot of the stuff does, you know, you could really tear it apart logically very easily. Like, but it's like, it's a cartoon, you, you know? So No, you're, so you, think, you make a really great point about the tone mattering a lot. Uh, like the tone in the world will take you a long way in terms right. of like what we're willing to buy and what we aren't. You know, if this was some super grounded story and then they started just transporting with no explanation, we're like, how is this happening? But it's like, yeah, we're in a world where an entire cartoon world exists. And also it wasn't even invented by somebody. It just has always existed. And I guess we're to believe that cartoons half exist because they're channeling themselves into the real world in weird ways and it's manifesting. And so like, yeah, there's a lot of like weird shit at play to where it's like, okay, yeah, it's not like I'm going to get bogged down by this particular detail <laughs> right. yeah, but there, yeah there's something very to very sort of fairy tale or fable sure. like to this story that again you know fairy tales fables like they're not realistic if you try to sort of be like yeah what about this like it, you know those those sorts of stories just fall apart if you try to pick at them right um but yeah so jack gets sucked in a cool world it's like this really brief scene though because he ends up at this club there's a lot of like wolves mo uh moseying around sort of whistling and, and we really the, the highlight is just holly's dancing uh jack's there he kind of reaches out and she says something to him i don't fully remember what she says and then that's just kind of the extent of their interaction he gets sent back and he's back in his jail cell or whatever uh so it's just kind of like oh what was that even he's i think even he's kind of like i don't know what that was all about Maybe it was like a weird dream or whatever. Uh, we kind of just, uh, no, I think, uh, I don't remember when Jack visits the comic shop, but I think it happens after Frank visits Holly. Probably one of my more favorite scenes in the movie, like, I, like I've said a couple times, like when Frank visits Holly for the first time, uh, there's just a lot going on in this scene. He's kind of moseying around. I said, I've said moseying twice now. <laughs> I never say that word. Uh, he's like looking around her room. He sees these mice playing poker. Like, beat it, copper. And there's a lot of, like, cartoon stuff going on. It's a little distracting. Uh, it's one of those things. There's definitely... I I both kind of love how chaotic the background of everything in this movie is in Cool World. Just There's just shit floating around constantly and stuff happening in the background at the point where it's almost hard to pay attention to the main conversation that's happening. But, at the, like, at the same... I, I like the vibe of it, but at the same time, I'm more interested in what they're talking about as opposed to all this crazy shit that's sort of just happening. Oh, uh, the whole reason I went off on this tangent, though, is it's funny. I, I love that they establish that Frank does not want to be in the real world because he does, in the real world he has to deal with, you know, the fact that his mother died and the consequences of all that. But goddamn, if, if Cool World doesn't seem like the worst place to live on the, on the fucking ever, just ever, it seems like <laughs> nightmarish. Even when he pulls up to her house at first, it, he's like, he takes like two steps away from his car and turns around. There's like these two cats like trying to carjack him or whatever. <laughs> he's like, hey, get out of here. And they're like, eh, and then they run off and like people are just being smashed with anvils like left and right. It's just insane. Like, and, and like, I love the vibe because, you know, he's been here for almost 50 years. He's obviously used to it or whatever. I was just like, I could not live like this. It's so awful. <laughs> and, and like Jack is like, no, we should stay in Cool World. Cool World's awesome. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> and shouldn't you be free, like be overwhelmed by 
it's the sensory explosion that is this world. Like, I, I, obviously, it's all visual, but I'm like, what does Cool World smell like? <laughs> it's got to smell pretty rank, I think. But well, I don't know. <laughs> nothing rots, and cartoons don't rot. Yeah, so I guess so. They don't decompose. <laughs> It's just like, man, what what a nightmare place to live. Uh, but yeah, I just like, you know, Frank, it's funny because you think that this is going to be a classic, what's the word I'm looking femme fatale, hard-boiled detective type of thing. Uh, me, like as a yeah. first-time viewer, uh, you're like, oh, Holly's going to like kind of, he's going to be kind of in Holly and seduce, she's going to seduce him or whatever. He has no time for her shit. Like, like every time she's trying to like, rub up on him or talk to him he's, he's like literally throwing her and pushing her around <laughs> and shit i was like frank does not give a fuck about ollie it's it's pretty funny actually uh yeah, like i said she gives this like horny monologue about they can when they do it with the man it's real and blah 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 i want to be real like i said i think it does a good job of sort of establishing her mindset a little bit yeah and it's, just and just establishing frank is like a, no fuck you you suck right. i know you're evil I'm not going to give you the time of day. You are a fucking problem. His, his uh, little just attitude of like, all right, simmer down and keep your legs closed. Yeah, I, I love that. That was the. I think that was the moment where I was like, I think I like Hollywood better than Jessica Rabbit is when he goes, keep your legs closed, and he leaves, and she just slowly starts spreading her legs or whatever, like right. out of defiance. I was like, this is pretty great. I like this, actually. Yeah, like, great character moment. <laughs> um, but it's funny because like after you know Brad Pitt, we see him, he rolls up on this lady who's sort of leaned up against this light post, this uh, black-haired cartoon lady who will find out his name, Lynette, a.k.a. Lonnie, and he's, like, pretending to give her a hard time for being out, and then pretty quickly we're like, oh, wait, hang on a second, they're, like, into each other, it's like his girlfriend or something, and at this point we haven't really established that they're not cartoons, in, or I guess in this world, cartoons are called doodles, and humans are called noids in Cool World. Uh, but noids and doodles are, are not supposed to bang. Uh, we haven't quite established that yet, so we don't fully know how like sort of taboo this relationship is. But it is a pretty funny reveal where Pitt, he seems so above it all. But then it's like, oh, nope, he's got someone that he likes, and he likes her a lot. And they, they don't really uh, develop Lonnie a ton other than just her relationship with Pitt kind of what defines her in this movie yeah i don't really know what her hopes and dreams are obviously but i still liked her as a character a lot i don't really know i looked at who played her and i, I didn't recognize the name at all but i mean i i, I thought she was i liked Lonnie. i'm a Lonnie fan for yeah. sure yeah i think the actor did great <laughs> feel bad i didn't want to give her her due but i'm like having to scroll back so far <laughs> I, sometimes i hate the way uh letterboxd is janine jennings who? <laughs> well, she has one film credit, and that is Cool World. Uh, so that she plays Lynette. Yeah, she she was great. I liked yeah. her. Uh, but yeah, so we, we established that Frank has this relationship with Lonnie, and I was like, ooh, intriguing. Especially after seeing how immune to Holly he was to right. like go to this other character who by all accounts kind of looks a little bit like Holly with black hair, just the way she's drawn. I mean, he's like right. super into her. It, it's just, a, it's an interesting little turn of events that I, I definitely did not expect. <laughs> you definitely get a sense of like, of uh, Frank just being like, he's a good stand up dude who, you know, he has these sort of old, old school values. You know, he's a guy that he, he's a, he's a, 
he's a he's a man who cares about his mother and cares about his country and you know and he has that sort of that old like 1940s value set yeah um, and it's not it's not really explained very thoroughly i was very surprised when he goes to the real world that we just didn't have scene after scene of him being like whoa what's this whoa what's this why do cars look like this what is this a telephone like he seems to know that time has passed. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I, like, he seems to have some sense of what's going on in the real world, even though he never goes back there. He doesn't seem shocked by anything he sees in 1992. Uh, but you're right in the sense that he he's a man that's kind of weirdly stuck in time. I mean, it's pretty shocking, right? Where I didn't think he'd be an old man, but, you know, it's 1945. And suddenly it's 1992. And then when we see Brad Pitt again, he just looks like how he looked. Like, that's another thing about him living in Cool World is he just doesn't seem to age. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> like a facet that's barely explored of the film, but is, is interesting to think about for sure. Because <laughs> it's like, that's another thing is like, obviously Holly doesn't understand how it works in the real world. But it's like, when, well, you're, when you're a cartoon, you presumably live forever. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Like, well, I mean, you're, you're, they, you're they a, do make a point at that at some point in time, being like, in the real world, death is permanent. Yeah. You know? So, so it's, it's kind of implied, like you can kind of, you know, just just shoot cartoons with a, you know, with a Tommy gun or whatever, and and they're gonna be fine. You yeah. know, it might hurt, but they're not gonna die. It's it's. I think that's the thing that I said that's both interesting and frustrating about the film is there's ideas at play here that are very fun to think about. Because there's this whole immortality angle that could have been explored, but really isn't. Like yeah. you would almost think there'd be humans trying to get to Cool World, because it's like if you if I go to Cool World, I'll live forever, you know. Or or maybe there's right. a, a cartoon who's like I've been here for five thousand years and I am tired of life. Uh, you know, there's like a there's like a fun storyline in. Uh, Tr Did you ever watch True Blood? Uh, yeah, I've seen the first three or four seasons. There's a, there's like a little side story they do that I always really liked where there's this vampire and he's like one of the, like the head big boy vampires, but he's been alive for a very long time, like maybe thousands of years. I don't remember what they establish. Yeah. Uh, and the side story is basically like they go to this party. It's like his death celebration party and at the end of the night as the sun's coming up he goes up on the roof and just allows himself to be burned to death because he's fucking done yeah he's like i don't want to be here anymore right. uh like and that no. could that could have been an interesting I'm angle sure. to explore too i don't know i'm, I'm kind of glad like i like that the they don't explore that question that, that's not i don't i'm not very interested in sure that, it's just it, these are just thoughts i'm having like um, because they're they're introducing these ideas right but they're not really following them which is fine like it feels like a fully lived in world uh yeah. but it, it is interesting to like instead of like relishing her immortality it could have been interesting if there was an angle where she's like i'm tired of just being invincible but you know like you said she's more naive and just thinks she'll just go be invincible in this new world too uh and again that's why i almost would have liked to see more chips in the armor other than the one time she tries well, to run through a wall. <laughs> well, and, and you don't, the story doesn't work too. If you actually take these characters as immortal, cause like there's no way that Hollywood has the attitude that she has 
if she's been alive for like thousands of years. Yeah. Now, she's very she's very adolescent and um, you know, just immature in her outlook and the way she behaves. And it's like, you know, so so at some point in time you have to sort of hold in your head that all right, this this world exists perpetually, but there's you know, nothing develops. Yeah. Like it, it's it's this static place where things that kind of exists outside of time. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's almost like a weirdly morbid pessimistic thing where it's like none of these characters will ever grow as people <laughs> because they just are who they are. It's again, there, there are a lot of fun ideas to explore. I feel like there's like a million papers you could write about this movie. Uh, but Jack gets out of prison. Um, he goes to visit this comic shop. Uh, speaking of cartoonish, uh, we have this cartoonishly attractive lady who's working at the front desk of this comic shop. Uh, it's just this. I, tell me if I'm wrong about this. Was the, the the comic book shop lady is not the same lady that's his neighbor, right? Um, no, or, I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay, so I thought they kind of were setting up the comic book store employee, and then when the girl, the younger girl, who ends up driving them to the casino, they looked vaguely similar obviously their hair was wildly different but i was like is that the same girl what's going on here they just kind of look the same to me if it is uh, the same i didn't catch it i don't think it is because I, I remember seeing in the credits like comic book store employee or whatever and that was a separate credit than whatever the name of his neighbor was so but yeah she's like she recognizes jack deeb she's like you wrote cool world oh man everybody wants to be holly when they grow up and she's like hitting on him super hard or whatever uh I was laughing in the nostalgia critic video because you see this picture of Jack and it just looks like him in current day or whatever. And he's like, wow, I guess he must not have been in jail very long. Uh, but, well, I, but I also think it, I read somewhere that he was maybe making these comics from jail. So I, I don't know how any of that worked, but it's, it's really unclear. Like, you know, you don't even, you don't know. We don't know if, if he was, you know, in jail you know, awaiting a trial and then he, he was acquitted or, you know, they're, it, the movie's not interested in that. Yeah, like when, sort of when, we, when he's in, talking to Holly, he says like, he basically says like, you kept me going, but thankfully I'm getting out of this place soon. So he knows he's getting out uh, fairly okay. soon or whatever. But Or, or you know, maybe he, he did a plea deal. Like he was, it was hinted that the, that he is at least charged with murder or suspected of murder. Yeah, it's probably like, it's like, it could have been one of those cases where like, you know, he got some, plea deal and you know was kind of all right you get you get a year or two or something like yeah, that it's like if you want to do work for the movie while he's at the comic book shop there's this random chubby guy who's like hey why don't you make a story about that guy you killed that slept with your wife and i was like oh thanks exposition man uh but you know if you want to do the math for the movie presumably he caught his wife cheating there was an altercation maybe he went down for manslaughter or something like that which tends to be a less harsh charge because it's you know, premeditated murder is uh, charged a lot more harshly in this country than just an accidental killing. You still tend to go to jail for a while if you murder somebody, but I don't know. Uh, it's it's weird, but and I it does and it doesn't seem to. Again, maybe I, I'll say this out loud because it seems like there's themes of the movie that maybe I'm not picking up on. Yeah. Uh, but as far as uh, it being established that Jack Deebs seems to have killed a man who slept with his wife doesn't seem to factor into the story at all. Like even a little bit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I think the really, to me, like what I pick up on is 
just the implication that he's not a good solid upstanding guy right you know it's kind of i don't know what i took away from that is like maybe he killed the guy or maybe he didn't but either way like you you get the sense of like all right he's this is not the hero which is interesting because he ends up being the hero at the end but like that's the character arc it's he he's introduced as somebody you know who's in prison you know and presumably for you know a reason yeah i mean and you know it could be one of those things where it's a rumor and he didn't actually Right. kill anybody but they don't do any work to help right. explain any of that I, I will say as far as his character arc goes i i mean f- i liked frank a lot better as a character than jack for sure and like by the end when frank is like laying on the concrete dead and suddenly it's up to jack to save the day and then dr whiskers literally got i have to imagine how much uh nonsense that sounds like of all the word salad i just threw out but when dr whiskers is like He's a che- he's doing what he was meant to do, become a hero. I just like kind of groaned a little bit. I was just like, oh God. Like we're just like saying that out loud. What the fuck is happening right now? And then he like turns into a superhero who doesn't even seem to be voiced by Gabriel Byrne anymore at that point. I was like, what is happening right now? Like the ending is is pretty sloppy in my opinion, but we'll get there. Uh and speaking of Jack though, he goes home and he gets sucked back into Cool World again. And so he's at the club again. Holly's kind of macking on him. Uh, Frank, I think, is hanging out with Lonnie, but he's interrupted by this guy Nails. Like one of the major characters in our movie is this weird pseudo spider creature named Nails, who's this like cigar smoke. And that's another one that I wanted to look up because his voice sure did seem awful familiar, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Sparks. Like, how far back do I have to go to get to Nails? <laughs> uh, Apparently they don't even have it. So seems like almost like a, what can I think of the other cartoon guy? Uh, he seemed like a Dom DeLuise, like knockoff character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do, do I, do I, am I wildly off base on that? I'm, I'm not super familiar with Dom DeLuise. So I don't know. It's like, a, you know, all dogs go to heaven, a troll in central park. Uh, he's like the other cart. Uh, Never seen those movies. Well, I guess he's not the cartoonist, though. I'm, I'm like, completely up my own ass. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of, like, because there's, like, there's always, like, been Disney and Pixar, and then you got Bakshi, but then you've got Dom DeLuise is the, uh, he's, a, he's, like, a good, he's a voice actor who was in a lot of these movies, but he's not the director of these movies. He's the Don Bluth. Dom DeLuise was a voice actor in Don Bluth movies. Okay. Uh, but that's who the Nails character kind of reminded me of is Dom DeLuise. Uh, but you might also know Dom DeLuise from Cannonball Run, which is a movie I covered for the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Don Bluth, he's like the other weirdo cartoon guy who okay. managed... You've seen... like Have you seen All Dogs Go to Heaven? Or? No. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, I think Don Bluth movies were pretty formative for me as well uh so i don't know if that's like hmm that's interesting troll in central park doesn't mean anything to you nope because uh yeah anastasia land before time uh thumbelina uh where's troll did he not do troll in central park am i completely out of my ass on that rockadoodle yeah here we go troll in central park i always remember that one because i don't know i watched that movie a lot someone that i follow on letterbox gave it one star 
Wow, must be a real banger of a movie. I watched that movie so many times when I was a kid. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't know. Don Bluth, man. Rockadoodle. Uh, but wildly off topic. Although, like, I don't know. I feel like Don Bluth should be mentioned in somewhat. Don Bluth's like the kid-friendly version of Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't even find who played Nails uh, in the... The movie, but I don't know. Do you have any strong feelings about Nails? He's a weird character. Um, not not really. I mean, yeah, he doesn't stand out like as a character. He's just this sort of bumbling sidekick. Because Frank is sort of established as he's like he's cool world PD or whatever. I feel like I never see Nails pull a badge, but he seems to also be a cop. But he's also this weird cigar smoking. Like he's got like the hobo glove fingerless glove thing going on and he's like this really like sketchy edgy guy who i thought was just like someone that brad pitt was like palling around with but he seems to officially be a cop uh so i don't it's just a very weird character <laughs> charlie adler is his voice actor who uh cobra commander <laughs> and buster bunny which might be that was something i was going to mention uh, i wasn't a, the biggest looney tunes fan but i was a big tiny tunes fan uh i watched a lot of tiny tunes as a kid yeah um but <laughs> anyway like yeah like nail's job in this movie seems to just i think he's meant to kind of be comedic uh side relief character uh he's like very helpful right and very he's like obviously a decent partner to Pitt's character but he also just his like i think four maybe five times in this movie he just interrupts brad pitt while he's trying to hang out with lonnie and have a relationship so you're just like right fuck off nails <laughs> like, well you know we're like i mean it seems like it's all to justify you know the fact that a call comes in uh you know jack and holly are about to get it on and they need Brad Pitt not to get that call. Yeah. Right? So Nails has to be there. It's like, is his character really doing that much else in the movie? Not really until like the very last scene where he plays right. like a little part. Or maybe not the last scene, but you know what I'm saying? The climax. Yeah. Here, like, again, it's like a lot of back and forth. Like Jack comes into the world. Jack leaves the world. But we do. It's worth mentioning that he gets brought to the club. Nails goes like, oh, he's here. You need to go to the club. They go to the club. Pitt very aggressively grabs Jack, like throws him up against the wall. Uh, and he's just like, I mean, this is where we get our important thing where it's like, noids do not fuck doodles. Uh, I don't think they say fuck, but, and then he also, and like, he's trying to talk to Jack, like, Hey man, like a lot of people have tried to like, Holly's tried to fuck a lot of people. Don't do it. It's bad. He doesn't do a great job explaining what will happen. Jack's kind of like, whatever. Um, he sort of sends him back. So, but you know, seems to be Pitt's main job is, maintaining the order between the real world and the cool world i guess um which makes sense because he's like one of the only seems to be the only so-called noid who permanently lives in cool world right uh we never we never see any other noids in cool world besides jack and frank so presumably frank's the only one there which you would think he'd be more of a object of interest of people but it's mostly just like people, people seem to know who he is, but they kind of all are just like, ah, he's a fucking cop. We don't like him. Uh, you would think like more people would be like, whoa, holy shit, a real guy. 
Uh, but I guess they're all just used to him by now. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's been there like 50 years. It should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Pitt with Lonnie, Nails interrupts again. Because, uh, like, like I said, Jack goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but basically, Holly gets Jack up to her tower and she's having a party. And they we get this whole insane sequence where Nails is helping Pitt like climb up the tower and then they start to fall, but then they crash through the window. And again, it's like not a lot is getting accomplished here because Pitt just kind of goes up to Holly again and goes, Hey, don't you fuck that guy I'm telling you not to fuck him. And Holly's like, Whatever. And Pitt's like, Okay. Told you not to fuck him, and then like he leaves, and I was like, "What is what is happening right now?" But yeah, so but then Jack is just there, and then Holly fucks him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like we have this crazy sex sequence where she's like getting ready to fuck Jack, but also her cartoon henchmen are building this weird tower so that they can watch. It's it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't know if you have any strong feelings I, about that sequence. I don't know. It's just kind of fun to watch the <laughs> nonsensicalness of them, like, building this tower and, <laughs> of, like, random objects and whatever. Yeah, it's they're, they're like, I guess I haven't really mentioned the henchmen very much, but, again, they don't factor into the movie that much. They kind of just flavor the world a little bit. Right. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that Jack thinks that he sort of invented Holly and invented Cool World, um, but it's kind of explained that m- he's more just getting visions of Cool World and right. channeling that into a comic book. So in the real world, there are these comic books called Cool World, and Jack is the famous author slash artist of them, but it's sort of insinuated that no, Cool World is just this other dimension that exists and he's just sort of interpreting things. Because, like, when he meets characters, he's like, Slash? Is that you? And, like, he knows all their names because he, like, quote-unquote invented them. But, no, it just turns out they already existed. He's just, like, sort of channeling them. It's interesting because, like, I thought they were going to go with the creator thing a little bit more. But it's like, oh, no, you're just, like, a patsy. And I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Right. interesting. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I mean, so they 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 have sex. Uh, we get this really weird shot where she sort of bends backwards 90 degrees as she hits her O face, I suppose. Uh, and then she turns into Kim Basinger, <laughs> like really Kim Basinger. Uh, <laughs> she's uh she's a human now. Um, and she's, uh, she steals his pen. She's kind of, uh, running around, yells at the henchman a little bit. Meanwhile, Pitt's sort of hanging out with Lonnie at the club. And Nails is like, oh, some shit's going down. He tries to call Pitt. But then, because Pitt's like, what? I'm hanging out with Lonnie. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Uh, And so he just, Nails decides he's going to go confront Holly himself. Doesn't go very well because there's this sort of weird pre-established thing where fountain pens are like god-tier weapons in Cool World. So when Nails tries to confront her, she just sucks him into a pen. Right. Uh, That'll pay off later, I guess. But yeah, Nails is quote unquote dead uh holly tells her henchman to fuck off she's going to the real world uh and then she goes and finds jack and they just go okay we're going to the real world and then they go to the real world somehow uh meanwhile pitt's like i gotta follow him lonnie lonnie's like don't you want to be don't go you're gonna leave me and he's like you know like we mentioned it before but you know frank says a lot like I don't want to be in the real world. I'd rather be with you. 
And like I said, there's a lot of tension where they kiss and uh, Pitt's like, uh, don't get me worked up. We can't go through with this. And I was, I'm just like, damn, what a weird taboo relationship that they've got going on. Uh, and, and it is interesting because like at some point before they get right before they get interrupted, uh, she's like, all right, we'll just do it how we always do. And I was like, what were they about to do? Just like, <laughs> like mutually masturbate or like, what was, what, what's, what's, what's the thing that they do? <laughs> like, presumably that, I guess. Uh, but just like a very interesting taboo, frustrating relationship that I was into that they don't explore a ton, but I like the idea of it a lot. I think it's just like a real classic, like it's why, um, you know, if like gun to my head, if you ask me like who my favorite X-Men is, like, I really like Mystique, but I'd probably say Rogue is my favorite. And I love, you know, that element of Rogue is that, like, if she touches people, she, like, saps their energy, Yeah, you know? And so she has to sort of deal with the fact that she, like, can never touch someone that she wants to be with. And it's this tragic thing. And I find it really fascinating. And you have elements of that in this movie. So, like I said, a lot of, a lot of fun elements with Cool World, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just... Uh, ideas <laughs> which is interesting because i'm curious how much of this was in the original script and how much of it was born from these because like basically bakshi got the deal to make this movie but then they like told these other writers to just completely rewrite the script and it, and so i don't know what is bakshi's and what is these other writers yeah and, i mean and, from what you described i can't imagine how you got from point a to point b yeah it's like bakshi was like contractually obligated to like direct this movie so he oh. did, but he had a very tumultuous relationship with the producer. There's a pretty infamous story that he punched the producer out at one point, which he later in life said, I, I never did that. Please tell everyone I actually never punched anybody. Me and Frank have a, a good relationship. It's fine. Uh, but it's like, I don't know. It's like that classic Hollywood shit where things were crazy. Like from the 70s to the 90s, I just feel like things were batshit insane. Uh with like producers and directors and behind the scenes of Hollywood stuff. So who knows what's true, what's not true, but I don't know. I, I don't know how much of this is Bakshi's vision and how much is just, well, I don't know. I, <laughs> again, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. And I, I, we had a similar conversation talking about tank girl because I wasn't really aware of the sort of production of that either. And I feel like the end product, you know, for maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse, but like, the end product feels very much like a coherent piece. And I think the same thing with this, like it all comes together. I think there's a lot of elements that don't seem like they should come together, but I, at least it's working for me. Right. And there's a lot of things I think that you're pointing out where like there's certain things that come up or certain ideas are introduced that aren't really uh, capitalized upon. But I think to me, that's almost uh, just world building too of, of, you know, giving you a sense of the world by, you know, raising these questions without giving you answers just to, you know, making it feel like there is a world, there is more to the story than, you know, sort of what you get on the surface. Yeah, it's the kind of movie that I find fun to watch because it's given me so many different ideas to explore. But it is interesting because this movie is definitely very divisive. You know, you go on Letterboxd, which is sort of my preferred just look at reviews of movies site. And I mean, you've got the full gamut here. People that give it four and a half stars that are like, this is like a borderline masterpiece. I love that it's doing something no other movies do does. And then you have people that give it like half a star and go, this is the hottest, most fucked up mess I've ever watched. It's terrible. 
is borderline unwatchable. So it, it's it's interesting. To me, I definitely didn't find it unwatchable. It's just there's moments during the movie, especially during the back half, which I think a lot of people would agree on in general that once Holly turns human, some of the fun goes out of the movie just a little bit in terms of like she's just so fun to watch as a cartoon, like an evil cartoon that and when she's in the real world, it could have been really fun, but like I just don't feel like there's enough scenes of playing with what's going actually going on. Like instead we get this long sequence of her like rubbing her butt on Frank Sinatra Jr. and stuff. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Uh like I would have just liked to have explored her in the real world a little bit more. Like like does she right. even understand the concept of money? Like that could be fun. Like imagine her going on like a shopping spree yeah. and being like, Oh, I want all this stuff. And it's like, well you can't just and she's like fuck you like I, I just like yeah or just like she has like a cartoon logic of like the way the world works so uh, i feel right. like it's just you don't get to have like, i think she's doing a good job embodying the character for the scenes that were given and again maybe it's just the budget sort of rearing its head a little bit right in the sense that it's like well well too and it's like you know i don't know they could have cut out more of you know the like like one of the nice things about the movie is this movie is like what 90 minutes 100 minutes something like that right like it's it's a it's a, you know, the movie doesn't overstay its welcome. And I don't know that you would want it to be significantly longer than it is. And it's like, well, if you wanted to have more in that back end, you'd have to cut out some of the stuff earlier on. And I think structurally that would make a lot of sense to do that. But I don't know. I think there's something that's not sort of, you can't really capture in a narrative sense that, you know, just the world building and being in cool world for a long time is really necessary for the movie not right. again not in a narrative or structural uh sort of sense but just as an aesthetic sense yeah because like i like the like the design like there's a car chase that i skipped over where the poppers not the coppers are, are chasing them and then the backgrounds and the roads they're driving on are really cool and we do get some of the more fun cartoon action of like cannonballs being fired and all this crazy shit. Uh, and, you know, like the cool world stuff is really enjoyable, but I, there was a moment where I felt like, like I said, like Brad Pitt visits Holly at least three different times to basically say the same thing. Right. And I was like, hmm, we're not really getting a lot of variance here. It just seems like the same thing keeps happening over and over. And I didn't mind it because I liked being in cool world. Right. I don't necessarily want to spend more time in the real world. I just wonder if those scenes could have been a little bit more effective. And I, I think for me, part of the movie is just, uh, I think the Jack character doesn't have, I'm not as into his character as I am into Holly and Frank. And so the fact that he's carrying some of the narrative weight, I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't really care what's going on with him. It's like, yeah, they, they go to the real world and we meet his neighbors and they just have this sort of weird, awkward interaction uh, where they're like, oh, we thought you are in trouble. And then Holly's like basically like trying to blow him in front of all these guys. <laughs> and they're just kind of like, oh, I guess we'll go. Uh, and then the, they do this fancy club. I love <laughs> I love the dialogue, like with the neighbors are like, we came and check on you. And like Holly's like, I'm real. <laughs> yeah. Neighbors like, you sure are, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, what was going on with her? Uh, but they go to like this, this Copacabana club uh, from the mask or whatever. Even though this is pre-mask, but and and like Holly's just like I could have any man in here, and I was kind of like, yeah, you probably could, uh, because men are animals. 
but the, the, basically, the, this whole sequence is insane too because she's like, "I'm gonna go dance on stage and like strip down or whatever," and these guys are like, "Cool, let's throw her boyfriend out of the club," which just seems like wild to me. He's like, "She's with me," and they're like, "No, she's not. She's ours now." I was like, "This is weird." Uh, like I said, she does this uh, song with Frank Sinatra Jr. Who that's just that just is Frank Sinatra Jr. I guess. I will say this is the moment where you mentioned the sound design when he's having the PTSD flashback. Yeah, I do think one of the weakest parts of this movie is the sound design, though, uh, in terms of like the cartoon stuff. Could just be the version I was watching didn't have a lot of oomph to it, but this this is the scene that really nailed it home for me to where her vocals are so quietly mixed to the point where she's like almost being like overwhelmed by the band noise at least in the version that i watched to where her song was not as impactful to me as it should have been sounded sounded fine to me yes like i'm saying it could just be the version i watched yeah um uh but it just i I guess that's why i didn't want to dwell on it but there's not a lot of to the the sounds that i in the version that i watched to where this is supposed to be this like big sexy show-stopping number and the whole time is like i don't really want to do it on mic because like it'll be so quiet that it's not gonna pick up but she's just kind of like you're falling let's make love like it's like you compare this to say tank girl where it's like let's do it let's like it's big and bombastic and like i know this is supposed to be more sensual marilyn monroe type number but it was like so quiet that it wasn't like hitting the way I kind of wanted it to, but again, could just be the mix in the version I watched. I don't know for sure. I have a ima- I have to imagine this is a movie that hasn't been remastered a ton uh, <laughs> because it's not the right. most popular movie of all time. So I don't know what, well, what I mean. Versions... Not that you're saying it though. I mean, I've listened to it. You know, I've got a you know a, a okay stereo that I was listening to it in a subwoofer, and it's like there's not a lot of bass on it. Like, yeah, and as much as like you know. As much as a lot of the songs had bass, like it wasn't like boom, boom, kind of really kicking through as much as it could have. There was always just something a little off about some of the voice acting with the cartoons where it wasn't just quite matching hmm. up with like, there's just, it, I think, I think someone could do like another run on like the Foley and stuff in this movie and it would have been a little more impactful. Yeah. Um, not that it wasn't effective. And the fact is, like, when you're in the cartoon world, you have to make every single fucking sound that's happening. And there is a lot going on. Uh, but, yeah, the song is just the moment where I was like, eh, this could have hit a little harder. And and, the, and while she's singing, she keeps, like, turning into this, like, briefly into this, like, cartoonish clown version of herself or whatever. To where, you know, she's been turned real. Uh, and, and, and Jack is experiencing it, too, where they're just sort of flashing into cartoon versions of themselves for a second so something's pretty hinky with the transformation and their crossing over i think the barriers are breaking down a little bit is sort of what it's indicating <laughs> um right they're not stable not stable at all and uh at some point uh frank says goodbye to lonnie she's sad that he's leaving but she she understands like i mean again the stakes are a little vague it's kind of just thrown out a couple times like it'll break down everything between our two worlds and destroy the universe or whatever. I don't know if that's true. Like it seems to be the case, but so presumably Lonnie's like, okay, you need to go like save the world or whatever. I get it. 
whatever. I was really crossing my fingers. I, I just was like, it, it's probably a good thing I didn't write this script. Because at this point, uh, in my version of the movie, Frank fucks Lonnie and they go to like the real world together. <laughs> uh, but obviously that wouldn't really work for where the story is going. But that's what I would have done. I'd have been like, nah, fuck it. Fuck Lonnie. Turn her real. You guys both go to the real world and fight Holly and Jack. It'll be like this fun showdown. But that was just because I was invested in Lonnie and Frank. And the movie's like, that's not what really the story's about. It's just kind of a side thing. But eh. well, also, it's like, <laughs> it's, I think what I, the way I take it is, is, you know, it's Jack and, or, and, um, and Holly are unstable because of the sex. Like, there's no way to actually do that and then be stable. Right. Exactly. Right. At the end of the day, Frank is just full on good guy boy scout right I, I think i kept expecting just some hint of an edge that never really uh, comes no he is uh, very <laughs> he's very boy scout all uh, the way um but basically holly's like okay i know where the power spike is that's the only way to fix this uh so she's gonna go to where it is it's mentioned briefly there's a guy named Vinny vegas or whatever who vegas Vinny. that's it's whiskers we find out that it's whiskers later it is. which well, i mean they, you, you they could, introduce you, him as i think it, 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 it's sooner or later they tell you it's vincent whiskers isn't yeah it? so it's vegas Vinny. and we haven't seen whiskers since the very beginning of the movie so you can kind of put the puzzle i, I mean i knew right i was like vegas Vinny is was whiskers like even I, I could do the math on that uh but she like kicks jack out of the car drives to which i <laughs> speaking of cartoonish i don't know how she manages to kick him out of the car while simultaneously not driving into a building uh but hey you know whatever uh she goes to the place where the casino where the spike is supposed to be i will say i i'm realizing now there's this valet that she interacts with and i was like i know this guy but i couldn't quite place what i knew him from and i don't have a i have a feeling i'm not gonna find him here <laughs> uh oh no here he is paul ben victor what do i know him the irishman true romance that's what i know him from uh he's the he's the guy in true romance who like speaks italian that's part of like christopher walken's mob that's what i recognized him from his face was so familiar to me he's in a lot of shit he's in daredevil don john tombstone uh like pretty moderately famous actor uh just i saw him as the valet i was like this fucking guy i was like i've seen this guy in a bunch of shit uh but they have this just this weird interaction where uh she's like i want to go in he's like uh like, i want to see vinnie vegas he's like oh, there's no vinnie vegas here i don't know what you're talking about uh but she goes in accomplishes nothing gets kicked out like i don't know it's a it's a, it's a weird sequence meanwhile pitt's there uh he's <laughs> there's a weird scene where he shows he because pitt when pitt comes through into the world he comes through into Jack's apartment, or I guess it's the house. Um, and he's got his gun is real now, which is funny. And it's just so, so weird because, like, Jack is like hanging onto these bars. Like, you can tell they were like thematically trying to go for something here, right? Where Jack's behind these bars. He's like, Go ahead, Frank, fucking shoot me if you want to. And Frank's just like, Whatever. Also, like, very interesting choice. It seems to me that when Frank comes back to the real world, he seems to still have the injuries that he sustained from that motorcycle crash from when he was sucked into the world in the first place because he wasn't injured before he transports. But when he comes back, he's got like this crazy like red gash on his head mm. and he's like kind of ruffled and fucked up. 
And I was like, is this like the state he was in when he was sucked in? He's like being returned to the same. It just like, it seems like they made the choice to do that. So yeah. uh, I don't know if that's something that you've really paid much attention to or cared that much about, but it just, it really stuck out to me because I was like, whoa, wait a second. I think it goes <laughs> to like what I was saying before about like the cool world is, is a place that exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's, you know, so even, so it's, it's like the time just passing or not passing just doesn't, the cool world's like just operating on an entirely different set of rules. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was like, I was like, wow, he's got like the same injuries. I, I, I kind of like that thematically where it's like yeah. the second, it's been 50 years, but he still has the same scars right. Right. from the, the motorcycle accident or whatever. And it's also like, it's funny because it's like, I guess that's just the only clothing he has too. Now that I think about it. He just wears that same suit because that's the suit he was transported in. And yeah. so, but it's also it's part of his noir detective thing because he dresses like it's the 40s because that's the suit he was wearing when he got pulled in or whatever. Uh, it's, it's like some weird ghost elements almost. It's like, this is what you were wearing when you died. Mm -hmm. uh, but him and Jack have this weird face off, but then their neighbor interrupts it. And they're like, we need to go to the thing. And she's like, well, I can drive you. Uh, so they go to the thing. Meanwhile, Holly runs into this <laughs> it's just like I don't know. it's just like what is happening right now because she runs into this guy who's like wearing a trench coat and has his face covered up and i was like oh gosh is this dr whiskers what's going on uh and she argues with him eventually pushes him down yeah it's dr whiskers or whatever i i don't know i don't know what to make of the fact that dr whiskers apparently lives in the real world like he crossed over successfully question mark and isn't having any issues, but he's still a cartoon? Right. Question mark? I, I'll be honest. I, I'm at a loss at this point. Like, I don't know what to think about any of that. Uh, well, I think, <laughs> well, at the start of the movie, he's saying, I was trying to get into your world. He, like, talking to uh, Frank, he's like, I was trying to get into your world, but somehow you ended up here instead. So, presumably, after that point, he figured out how to get into the real world, and so he did, and... That's just where he's been for the past 40 years. And he lives as a, a homeless person in, in Vegas. Like, <laughs> Well, he has, I guess he dresses that way to not draw attention to himself. <laughs> I just was like, I don't know what this guy's existence is. It, it's pretty wild. But like all that ends up happening is Holly just like absolutely wrecks him with the pen, like slices him to pieces and goes, fuck you. I'm going to the power spike uh, and starts like climbing up the building. Uh, Frank and Jack and jack's neighbors show up uh they have this bizarre exchange where it felt very contrived plotty to where jack's like i'm coming with you i caused this and i need to help you and Pitt has to say like three different times like no you stay here and help dr whiskers i gotta go after her it just seemed like an excuse to not have jack go with Pitt for some reason i don't know it was really weird uh also at this point i think the pen breaks and at some point, Nails makes his reappearance because he wasn't dead. He was just trapped in the pen, which, hey, you know, speaking of things that the movie doesn't dwell on, what is the mm -hmm. uh, existential dread of being trapped inside a pen? I don't know. Uh, he, he just goes, oh, I didn't really like being trapped in there. And I was just like, oh, uh, okay, that was, that's kind of horrifying to contemplate. Right. I, I don't remember what, it might have been like a Heroes episode. Do you remember that show, Heroes? Yeah. There was like this guy who, he was just, uh, he didn't age and he couldn't die or whatever. Mm. He was like invincible and didn't age, but he was like a bad guy. And it's like, it takes place like 
hundreds of years in the past like he's in the present now he's come back and he's like the big villain um but you have this flashback where he had this confrontation with this hero and the hero buries him alive hundreds of feet underground and goes you're just gonna live here uh, now you'll never escape uh you're just gonna be buried underground for <laughs> and he presumably was buried underground for hundreds of years that was just like existentially this is so horrifying uh, it's like you know just imagine like literal solitary confinement for hundreds of years what even happens to your brain at that point uh but i digress uh nails wasn't in the pen that long i guess <laughs> not enough to mentally fuck him up i guess uh but pit chases holly around you get some weird shit to where at one point she does go through a wall but then later they're like confronting each other in this bedroom and she tries to go through another wall. Kind of a funny build up to where you think something's going to happen. <laughs> she just smashes right. into the wall. Uh, she goes out on the balcony and starts trying to climb on the outside. And again, playing into Pitt's Boy Scout nature. At some point she's like, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And he's like, here, I'll help you. And he like climbs up to help her. And she's like, ah, fucking bitch. And she's like, I guess it's important to note. She briefly turns into cartoon clown version of herself and like kicks him off the balcony because uh, apparently this is a major plot point that, well, she, that she's a cartoon when it happens, uh, right. which, which Nails apparently knows, even though I don't think he saw it happen. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying there's some like plot holes, but hey, you know, sorry, you were going right. to say something. <laughs> well, and she's been bouncing back and forth between being like real Kim Basinger and being cartoon clown person. Mm -hmm. Pitfalls. Uh, he would be a literal puddle if he fell from that height, but the movie just kind of makes him be like, I'm sprawled out and there's some blood or whatever. Uh, Jack's like, I gotta be, I gotta do something about this. And he uses his sort of newfound cartoon powers to stretch his arms to the top of the roof and pull himself up. We get probably my least favorite moment in the entire movie <laughs> where Dr. Whisker goes, like his neighbor's like, what's going on? He's like, He's becoming the hero he was always meant to be. I was just like, fucking gag me what's happening right now. But I digress. Uh, I just, I, I like, I, I don't know. I'm someone who likes a little bit of subtlety and a little bit of like, I like making the audience work for it a little bit. Having a character exclaim out loud, he's a hero. I was just like, I'm not loving it. Uh, but he goes up to the roof. They have this like bizarre kind of confrontation, but not really to where, He's trying to chase her, but there's sparks everywhere. She gets the spike, kind of goes full cartoon Holly again, unleashes cool world slash hell into the real world. We get, I mean, I don't really know where to go with this like final climactic sequence because it's so fucking chaotic and crazy. I don't know if there's anything that stands out super big to you. Um, I mean, the noteworthy parts are at some point Jack gets transformed into this cartoonish version of a superman character where he's like i must steal the spike back and save the world or whatever and he's like strong jaw big buff chest man um and holly's riding around on crazy shadow creatures and laughing humans are being turned into cartoons the, the probably my favorite shot is there's a shot inside the casino where this one guy's like looking at this woman and then he like turns into this lizard creature and she doesn't seem to react to it at all to the point where I was like, is this a choice you guys made or did she just not react and you just kind of went with it anyway? She's not looking at him. <laughs> she <laughs> she kind of looks at him and just goes, eh, and like uh, turns back to the table. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't know if there's anything in this like final climactic sequence that's 
super sticks out for you? Not a lot, no. Jack grabs a spike and puts it back and everything's happy. There's a weird moment where Jack has the spike and she's like, Jack, come on. You're a cartoon now. Just, just, I love you. Come be with me. And he goes, maybe I will. And then there's like this weird shadow creature who's like, hey, he's falling for it. And Jack goes, never mind. You're, you're a skank. I'm going to put the spike back. It's, It's a really weird beat that stuck out to me. No, what what it was it was nails kind of being like, no, you need to do the right thing. Was it? Because, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just like Jack has like a moment of like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we will rule the world as cartoons. And then he goes, just kidding. I'm gonna put the spike back. <laughs> and then he puts the spike back, and everything gets sucked in. Uh, nails is crying over Frank and goes, I gotta go take Frank's body to Lonnie. She needs to know. And so he does somehow because like he doesn't get sucked back in with the spike but they transport back anyway again logic's just a little bit out the window but he just kind of <laughs> it's like you would think it would be like more dramatic like you would lay frank out on some kind of pedestal or couch or whatever and lonnie would like come in and be like oh my god but instead they're just in a random street and he's just like propped pit up against a wall and he's just like oh Lonnie I'm sorry he died and she's like no no wait was she a cartoon when she killed him I mean yeah she's like don't you know if a doodle kills a human they become a doodle I was like oh you gotta be fucking kidding me right now and then he turns into a cartoon and she's like he's hot and then they like fuck or whatever and I was like yeah I'm glad it worked out for them but I was also like are you kidding me right now it's just so bizarre like it's very the audience said we want a happy ending and they were like okay like i almost would have given them props for going with the bleak like no he died he died yeah. saving the world like i wouldn't have liked it well i would have because i would have appreciated the balls to go that direction with it but you know because i was so i liked frank and lonnie so much i'm happy that they get together you know i'm glad it works out for them but the logic of it working out was was fucking crazy <laughs> and also we get sort of a weird denouement where jack is kind of hanging out with holly he's like we're gonna be so happy honey bunny and she's like i fucking hate you you're so <laughs> awful and then we just get credits and i was like wow okay <laughs> that's the movie <laughs> the end <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously we jumped around a little bit, but sort of any big overarching thoughts as far as the movie goes? Um, yeah, I like uh, the, so what works for me is um, like Jack, so they set him up is, all right, he thinks he's created Cool World. Mm-hmm. He's told he, do, he didn't create Cool World, but like, so he's got, he's this sort of egotistical, arrogant artist. You know, we know he's kind of a bad guy. And so he comes in, you know, he's just does the thing that he's not supposed to do. He violates like the one rule in Cool World. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) You know. Don't fuck the cartoons. Like pretty simple rule, pretty easy to follow. (laughs) I mean, for some people, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, he, and there's something really self-indulgent too because it's like, you know, he's drawing Hollywood all the time and, you know, as much as like, okay, so we've established like, like, yeah, she's not his creation, but it's still, there's something like weirdly narcissistic about it 
Well, there's something very interesting to the angle of, uh, as someone myself who's indulged in the occasional like wish fulfillment fiction, mm-hmm. like I've I've dabbled in like writing a story that's like you know what I just want to write what makes me happy or just like write this fan fiction that just I want to see it happen. There's an interesting angle to this man has drawn what presumably is his ideal woman and then is given a chance to be with her, which is another angle that I found interesting in the right. movie. Yeah. Uh, and it could have been more interesting if it felt more like commentary, but it didn't quite feel like that. You know, if Ralph Bakshi himself is a man who's known for drawing these borderline sexy lewd cartoons, like what does that say when he writes a story or directs, I guess, if I don't know how much he had to do with the final script, but he's directing a movie where a cartoonist and <laughs> the, the one for one Bakshi re- representative wants to fuck his own creation. <laughs> like there's something interesting there to that idea. Uh, <laughs> well, like I said too, and she's a, she's a very immature, very sort of, you know, imp- or, or compulsive, you know, person. And so there's, and there's something very immature about him too. So he gets pulled into the, into the cool world by this sort of femme fatale, uh, anima figure. And, you know, what happens is he can't, is it affects him in a way that it destabilizes him and destabilizes her. Right. And then you've got Brad Pitt, who's like the law and order boy scout guy. Who's like, trying to you know fix the problem right um he crosses back over and he can't be the one to actually make things right because you know he's been running away from his problems for the whole movie right you know he doesn't have he's not demonstrated the courage or or the the ability to sort of break the rules right and there's something where there's something you know wonderful about the the hero character is somebody who who who's willing to break rules you know and anytime you do that there's there's a danger associated with it and that's what we see when jack you know breaks the rules things go haywire it's not a good situation yeah but that's necessary in order to progress and so jack is ultimately the one who ends up redeeming himself in in making things right and so he learns that all right, cool world is not my creation. He learns to to respect the boundaries between you know the real world and the the fantastic world or the the imagination realm, and so he's now able to sort of put things back in their proper place, uh, but from a point that's further developed or you know that demonstrates growth that that Brad Pitt was never capable uh, of of achieving. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, so you have this world, like, cool world is kind of this, you know, it's, it's fantasia or it's, it's almost like an afterlife or a heaven where, like, everybody <laughs> or <you> a know, hell. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, but there's something very enticing about it. And it's like Brad Pitt is just lives in the fantasy and, and he's, it's, a, it's an escape for him. And Jack Deeb's Gabriel Burns character is, in a different relationship that is also not healthy, right? Because he thinks he's created it. He thinks he owns it, right? 
But it's also and, part of his escape for spending time in prison, right? Right. But the artist is like his job is to channel it and not not to take credit for it, but to be that sort of conduit right. between the fantasy and the real world and to, to realize, to materialize like the dream, the vision. You know, that's the artist's job is to, to sort of to, to latch onto that vision, not to own the vision. It doesn't belong to you, right? You didn't create your inspiration. The muse spoke to you. You don't own the muse, mm-hmm. right? And so, so Hollywood is kind of like that muse. And, and so he, he doesn't understand his relationship with the muse. You know, he has intercourse. It gets ugly. But then he learns, you know, he grows as a person and he, he's, he's able to, to sort of take advantage of his sort of cartoon self and stretch his arms so he can get to the top of the building. And then, you know, and too, you see him, you know, earlier on, he's like the cartoon clown, but then he becomes the cartoon superhero. Yeah. So there's, you know, like, like you're saying, is it actually, could all of this be implemented better? Probably so. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's clunky. It's, it's not subtle. This, the lack of subtlety doesn't bother me because I don't, you know, this is, it feels very teenage, like, like the, the audience it's hitting is a, is a teenage audience, you know, so you're probably not going to have the amount of subtlety writing, you know, for a 15 year old that you would, if you're writing for an adult audience, you know, if you're, if your target audience is, you know, 35 or 40. Sure. You're going to have a lot more subtlety in there. So I don't, I don't begrudge the movie, the lack of subtlety, but I think you're right. Like it is very clunky, but to me it all works. If you look at it the right way, like all the pieces actually fit together uh, pretty nicely in the way that again, Jack has this, you know, thinks that he, that he's done something out outstanding, you know, or achieved something outstanding simply by being in touch with the muse and he thinks that he's that he has created this world and you know by learning to that to to respect the world and respect the boundaries between the fantasy world and the real world like he he's able to become a better person and he's able to be to redeem himself and become an admirable person yeah i think that those elements are definitely there for me, it's just like, and you know, maybe it would hold up better on rewatches and stuff like that. It's it's just a little messily executed for sure. Yeah. Uh, but there there is something that pulled me in watching it for the first time where I was like, there's depth here. There's things going on. There's elements that clearly were thought out beyond just, wouldn't this be neat? Uh, you know, so there's things that work and things that don't work. You know, it's funny, the most, you know, and I don't know what order any of this shit will come out in, but the previous episode I recorded for the show was on the Crow City of Angels. And that was a lot of me. I literally was the you in that podcast where I was sitting back and being like, yeah, the movie's really clunky and doesn't make a lot of sense, but don't you feel like don't you see what they were going for? Don't you see what Sarah's character, like how they were trying to have her embody this thing and how Ash, yeah, the actor was not great, but you know, he lost his son. And like, I see 
the things poking through of like the meaning and like the potential. And I feel like a lot of that with cool world as well, where it's like, yeah, you have this like interesting idea of I'm the God of this world. Oh, I've been humbled. I'm a mere player. Uh, I'm a spec, uh, but it's up to me to like grow a backbone and like be a hero. And like that absolutely is in the movie for sure. It just isn't spelled out super great. It's like if it feels like, you know, like I read that it was like Bakshi wanted Brad Pitt for the Jack character. And they were like, nah, we're going to do Gabriel Byrne. And then they were like, well, we'll just make it in, like, I don't know how true this is, but I think the Frank character was like a weirdly late addition to the story to the point where he was almost tacked on. Hmm. And when you look at the movie as a whole, you can kind of see how that's the case, especially because he's such a static character. Right. Um, it's definitely Frank, or I mean, uh, uh, Jack Deeb's movie. Like, yeah. He's the protagonist. And it doesn't seem that obvious at first blush. And it also feels like, well, what is Frank providing to this movie that, like, when we could have spent more time with Jack developing this arc a little bit, you know? So yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but it, it's, it's all there for sure. And like I said, it's a movie that I think would probably grow on me the more. It's a movie that if I had seen when I was a teenager, I probably would watch all the time just because the vibe of it is so fun. It's fun to live in cool world for a little while. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's a very unique film. I've never definitely even, yeah, I've seen movies where like live action people interact with cartoon people, but I definitely never seen a movie quite like this. Right. And it was an enjoyable watch. I just was like, some of this just isn't quite adding up together. Like I said, just things like, okay, he's visited Holly for the third time and said, don't you fuck that guy. And it's like, okay, I got, right. I got it. Like, you're going to do anything about it. Or you're just going to, but it's like, I don't know. You could also argue yeah. like, well, he's more focused on his relationship with Lonnie now and his head's not in the game. And maybe, maybe Frank is slipping and that's part of the story. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you could take a lot of di things, a lot of different ways. It, it's pretty interesting. All the puzzle pieces are there. Right. I think to assemble something quite beautiful, uh, it just depends on, I think, each individual. Like I said, the reviews range from five stars to half a star. Some people think this is a masterpiece, and some people think this is an un unwatchable oh. piece of shit. And like, at, the majority of them are definitely lower than mediocre, though. Yeah. And to well, me, it I think, is not a well liked film. And like, I, I'm. I'm sure there's other people like me who, who do love this movie, but it, it's definitely not the majority of people that have seen well, it. I think it's pretty telling that you're able to glean so much out of it because the pieces are obviously there. Right. Uh, this is very much a movie to me that feels like it's up to the viewer to right. take what they want from the film. Well, like I said, I think what, what has changed for me, like, like I told you, it's been 10 years since I've seen it. I've, I've loved the movie since I was a kid, but it, it was more like, or a teenager, but it's it's more like it's it's a fun it's a fun ride it's a fun uh, experience to just be with these sort of weird cartoony characters for ninety minutes. And what I noticed this time is, you know, I've spent the last you know six or seven or eight years of my life studying uh, uh, analytical psychology and archetypes, Jungian archetypes, and and it's like there's a lot of that stuff that I'm seeing in the movie that's making me think of like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and like the things that they're talking about. Sure. And these old like fairy tales and myths and fables. And like, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of parallels and there's in, and, and it's, it is in there. I'm not, I'm not bringing this. It's not the like 
that I'm tr- sort of reading something into the movie that's not there, but it's also, and, and it's not even that it's it's buried deep, but it's like you need to look at it with the right set of eyes in order to see what's there. Right. And 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 like I said, I I was picking up things this time uh, that I that I hadn't picked on picked up before. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It's interesting because. I've said a lot that some movies where if they just have something that really hits me in the right way, it'll really elevate the film. Right. You know, um, Blade Runner 2049, very well liked film by a lot of people, but there's absolutely a couple scenes in that movie that, because there's a couple scenes in that movie that I don't think are super great. Like there's stuff with Jared Leto, mild spoilers for 2049, I guess. Uh, but, well, the Jared Leto stuff doesn't super work for me. Uh, but then the main guy's relationship with Ana de Armas is eternally fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and what they've got going on. And then when he visits like the robot revolution people and there's this big reveal where, and even just the way she delivers it, where she's just like, oh, you thought it was you. And I was right. like, oh, my, my soul was crushed. And that movie has just, lived rent free in my mind ever since I saw it yeah. because they had these moments that just spoke to me on like a spiritual level. And sometimes you just connect with something and it's like, and that happens a lot with movies that are borderline mediocre for me personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there'll be one thing and I'm not saying 249 is mediocre. I think it's a really good movie. Right. Uh, but all I need is just something to latch on to. Uh, I think one of my favorite go-tos for this isn't even a good movie, but I like it is, uh, oliver stone's savages it's a pretty basic shitty action movie have you ever seen savages i don't think so um but the main three characters are sort of in like a three-way relationship and it's like a positive three-way relationship like it's not like she's cheating on one to be with the other they're all together and they're cool with it and i was like what a weird little element to throw into this basic stupid action drug movie that sort of takes it over the top for me because i'm like i just don't see that relationship portrayed on screen very often and the fact that it's just a casual thing in a movie that's just basically a a stupid action movie kind of really juices it up for me and so i think about that i I like that movie even though most people are like it's like a 2.5 out of 5 i'm like i don't know i liked it Uh, like i took something away from it so right I, i was i really liked uh, how eloquently you spoke about like Jack's sort of journey through the film, because obviously the elements are there and not everyone's necessarily getting that out of the film, but you picked up on it. And it's obviously makes the movie a lot more, uh, not relevant, not enjoyable, right. but like, uh, just it well, ele- it elevates it a little right, bit. It's, right. I mean, there's something meaningful again about, about anybody who's in, involved in like creative work. There's something there that's like speaking to you about like, what is the proper way to relate to your, to, to inspiration, sure, relate sure. to your job as an artist or as a creative person. And, you know, you can get, if, especially if you're a successful artist, like you can get super caught up in your own shit yeah yeah that's you see it all the time these artists think like just because i've made this great thing that i deserve like all the adulation i'm getting and it's like i am not you know like like i've got this uh piece of paper here of this outline that i wrote for the story and i am not this this is not me i am not in here 
This is something I did. You know, it is not like like whatever I create. It's not me, and it's not, and I can't take credit for any inspiration that happens to come to me. You know, I can take credit for what I do with that inspiration, but 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 the 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 ideas don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to anybody. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really it was fun to be like because there's a moment where because it flashed forward 50 years and someone like offhandedly goes oh yeah jack deebs he thinks he invented cool world and i was like did he like i was, I was still trying to like piece through where it was going because i was like the, the timelines weren't fully adding up for jack to have created cool world but i was like i don't know maybe though like i don't know like so where's this going and you know them finally just being like oh no he's just like a fucking he just is drawing what he sees he's not making up any of this it just exists it's a really fun angle um and you're right it is like him finally taking ownership over all that because he obviously is enjoying like it's funny how people go oh wait that's the guy and he's just sort of casually signing shit like yeah whatever i don't know and it's like i'm sure if i wanted to write like a research paper on explaining how the fact that he maybe murdered his wife's lover factors into his power trip ego like maybe maybe you know maybe there's something there to like explore but it's it's the kind of movie that has a lot of really interesting ideas it seems a shame that people are so hard on it yeah um i get why they are because it's a little sloppily executed and if you're the kind of person who when brad pitt goes to massage lonnie's shoulders and it looks like shit that that takes you out of it right i mean sure i i get it like, uh, but I don't know. Well, even if you're just an, an adult who wants an adult movie, like this is not yeah, really that, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, if you're, if you're the sort of person who likes, you know, whatever is, you know, on the, the Oscars this year for, you know, best picture or, or best screenplay or whatever, it's like, this is not for that audience. Yeah. You know, if you're a big Brad Pitt fan, like is this going to be your go-to movie to see Brad Pitt? I mean, he's never <laughs> looked younger. I'll give him that. But like, you know, this is, you know, this is a very strange performance. It's very, and, you know, if you don't appreciate what they're even, what they're going for, and even if you do, it can be kind of stilted. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, this is definitely the kind of movie where I think if it hits for you, it hits though. And it's unique for sure. I, I don't really ask guests to rate movies anymore, but you're more than welcome to if you would like, but you don't have to. Yeah, for me, this is like, like on a 10-point scale, this is like an 8 or a 9, to, wow. just depending on my mood. Like I just <laughs> I really enjoy the movie. That's strong. And, and I think <laughs> it, it's got a lot of rough edges, but again, I, I think I, I enjoy the, the, the basic, uh, the world building and the, the characters and the themes enough that like all the rough edges are just charming to me. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, if for some reason you've never listened to the show before, I have a grading curve on the show. I always say my go-to example is I gave the Godfather an 8.5 out of 10 on my very first episode. I do think that is a 10 out of 10 movie. So if that sort of gives you a hint as to where my curve lies, no movie has ever gotten a 10 on this show. Uh, Will Cool World be that movie? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, a nine or an eight is very strong for me. I could see it growing on me, but where I'm at right now, and I feel very enlightened by this conversation, which I always hope to be when doing this show. I, I love hearing 
people's views on the film and seeing it from angles that maybe I wasn't necessarily considering. Uh, I think I'm still going to give it like a six out of 10, um, which again, that's what the grading curve. So, you know, um, I enjoyed my time with it. I was having a good time watching it. I just was like, it's one of those movies where occasionally the movie's going and I ha- and like, I'll have a sort of an out of body experience moment where I'll be like, what's, where's this going? What's going on here? Like, why is this happening? And, uh, when I'm not that engrossed, I, th- I find it very telling. Uh, but you know, I really liked Hollywood. I, I think I might like her better than Jessica rabbit just cause she's got more edge to her. Uh, I know Jessica rabbit seems kind of edgy when we first meet her, but it turns out she's just kind of a, like a nice person or whatever. I, I like a bad girl. I like that Hollywood seems to have power over everybody in cool world. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. I could have, like, I could see she's like a femme fatale dialed up to like 12 yeah i could (laughs) see the like the tv show version of this we could explore cool world more and juxtapose it with more real world characters and have everything crossing over and culminating in this big climax like there's there's a lot of ideas that are packed into this movie that are very interesting that i would love to see fleshed out I would love to, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I, I don't want this, this movie to be, like, this should not be more than, like, 100 minutes. Um, you know, this is a movie that you want to enjoy your time with and then, and then move on. But it's also a movie where, like, you could imagine this, you know, there's no way that this would be produced in the current environment. But you could imagine <laughs> this, like, if, in the right environment, being, like, a TV show where, you know, you've got a 20-minute, 30-minute episodes that are just, you know, it's such a big world to play in. But it's just like, there, cause just there's so, so many characters time. you could spend time with. Like, if, if we're focusing on these characters for this particular story, I think 100 minutes totally works. Uh, but I could see just fleshing out so many things that could be so interesting. It's just a classic, like, slightly older movie, early 90s, where the characters feel pretty lived in and fun. Like, even the neighbor, even though she doesn't really do jack shit other than drive them at one point. She feels like a person. Yeah. But you don't get that a lot in modern film. There's a lot of people just sort of serve a role in a movie and then they're gone. I feel like older movies, everyone just felt like people and we were good at that. We've kind of lost the thread a little bit. But yeah, a little mean to it. Six out of 10. I'm not trying to be mean. I, like I said, I enjoyed time with it, but it's like there's just elements that weren't fully there for me. But I'm really glad to finally get this one under my belt because I feel like it's a movie that's sort of been on my periphery for years and years at this point and i had i got a big kick out of finally putting it down you know <laughs> well i'm glad you didn't hate it like i said earlier it's like it, it is a movie that is pretty widely uh disparaged and i i think un, unfairly i like i, I definitely, I definitely think, think it's unfairly sh- like the fact that people are giving it like full-on half a star one star reviews i'm like all right guys you need to like take a fucking chill pill like it's not that fucking bad I could see some of the elements not working for people, but it's just so unique and interesting. I don't know how you don't get anything out of watching it, you know? Even right. if even if it is a straight down the middle two and a half star, three star experience out of five, I'm like, I, I just can't imagine giving this like a one star review. It seems like kind of insane to me. Right. A, if nothing else, it's like this movie deserves some credit for like not being anything else that you've seen before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Some people are just, you know, it's just... I think it's up, like I said, it's up to the individual viewer and like how much you're, you'll let your imagination and like your viewing experience take you places. But I just mean like 
even for some of the background art alone, it's pretty amazing. Like when like there's stills, like a still frames of this film that are like true works of art. Yeah. Like legitimately impressive. Uh, and I'm not even someone that cares that much about that stuff. I'm a character story guy first. And even I was like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing what I'm looking at right now. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, last but not least, uh, you know, we do recommendations. <laughs> if you have anything, feel free to recommend it. I've not really prepped anything. I have one, I think I have like one bullshit recommendation to throw out, but I really don't have much. Cause again, this movie's not necessarily adjacent to a lot of things. So I don't even know what to um, say. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like the obvious ones that come to my mind is, is, um, like never ending story. Cause you've kind of got that. Okay. Cool, like interesting. Cool world Fantasia. Uh, parallel, um, same similar with the labyrinth, and and you've got the David Bowie uh connection because David, uh, if you didn't catch it, David Bowie did like the theme song for Cool World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it comes in in the movie, but then they play the whole thing during the credits, um, which is a, a fun song. Um, and then like I think more than anything, like my recommendation is uh the Max, which was a comic book, and they did a a thirteen episode uh TV show. Uh, around ninety five, ninety six, which which is wonderful, but they don't wrap up the whole uh, narrative, so it it, it kind of got cut short, unfortunately. But the the book, the comic books, like issues one to twenty, is like the main storyline, and it's one of the best stories I've ever seen in any medium. Wow, whatsoever. And it's it, there's some tonal things that feel very similar to that in, in the way that it handles you know, the medium of being a, a comic book or being a cartoon. Um, so that, that's my recommendation. Go find the max, go, you know, you can watch the cartoon on, uh, online. I'm sure it's on, uh, Amazon prime and various other places, or you can get on DVD and you can buy the comic books or the, you know, whatever the, the trade paperbacks. Now. Yeah. I feel like I remember you talking about this series before, but I've not yet dived into it, but I, I know you've, glowingly recommended it before and i do think that's a great especially with something as artsy and and drawn as this movie uh looking at comic books is definitely like comic books like when i had my brief comic book phase you know i read some of the best stories i've ever read there there's all these amazing stories that exist in all these different mediums that take advantage of the medium they're being told in you know where you have this big splash page or just the way the art is. Uh, so yeah, comics are, you know, I've, I've read some really great shit like Preacher and uh, mm, Saga is really great. Pretty much anything by Brian K. Vaughn is amazing. But yeah, I'm going to fully cop out and just do Brad Pitt stuff. And I'm realizing that he's, I forgot he's the uh, hero in Megamind. I think that's a movie that's sort of achieved cult status these days. Uh, it was fun. I think it's a movie that when it came out, everyone was like, "Yeah, all right." But it's sort of grown on people as we've gotten older, just because it's just like it's just fun. Like the villain is the hero by the end, and it's a good Will Ferrell performance, and Brad Pitt is this classic Superman strong jawed character who ends up being kind of a douchebag. And uh, you know, like I've seen a lot of like edits where it's like, "You may you may be a villain, but you're not a super villain." Yeah, what what separates me from you? And then the Dun 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 dun, like the ACDC song. Yeah. It's like presentation, and you just like I, I actually almost got chills just describing. <laughs> it is a great moment. It's so good. Uh, but you know, cartoon Brad Pitt, whatever. 
Um, but my super cop-out answer is going to be a, a movie I've recommended a million times on the show because I always say it's my favorite movie of all time gun to my head. It's True Romance. That's right, guys. I'm talking about True Romance again. What the fuck does that have to do with anything besides the fact that Brad Pitt and the valet are in it? I'll tell you what. True Romance is a movie that is not perfect. In fact, a lot of people think it's like a moderately mediocre movie. I don't think anybody hates it quite like some people seem to have some disdain for <laughs> Cool World. Uh, but no one also likes it nearly as much as I do. Um, and it's like you said, where the more you watch it, the more even the flaws become part of the fabric of the film. And that's what true romance is to me, where I don't think it's perfect. I think arguably Clarence and Alabama's relationship, it's insane because like they have like a date, they decide they love each other and their relationship basically doesn't progress from there. Like our two main characters don't have arcs really. And yet I find the movie enthralling and I love it so much. And I can't stop watching it. One of my favorite movies of all time. And it's just the fabric of the movie is tattooed into my brain in a way that I can't fully explain. Like I could sit here and whinge and try to explain like why this works for me and why this works and how it's weirdly refreshing to see an on-screen couple who just loves each other head over heel. And that's just, it's not a movie about them fighting or anything. They just are in love and on an adventure, which you don't really see that much. Uh, even Bonnie and Clyde, the whole movie is about their fucked up relationship, you know, thematically. But uh, it's like, for me, it's like, yeah, true romance is my cool world. To Got some I, of that Tony Scott magic. Yeah, it just <laughs> does. It just works. I don't know. I can't fully explain it. You know, it's a classic wish fulfillment type thing where Quentin Tarantino wrote a movie about a guy who he thought was cool finding this beautiful sex worker who falls in love with him for almost no reason. It's just pure wish fulfillment fantasy nonsense with just how I felt like Ralph Bakshi directing a movie about a cartoonist getting to fuck a beautiful cartoon he made. Like, I, I do see the parallels there. So that's my cop-out answer to a romance. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think you're recommendations are more apt but yeah. that's all i've really got <laughs> for this or anything else back she like i said i'm not super familiar with everything you've sure done, but i mean uh, i could talk I mean, about who framed roger rabbit but i feel like i'd be sure beating a dead horse at that point it's like if if i mean i guess if for some reason you've never seen who framed roger rabbit you should watch it it's really good uh but it's like the one movie that makes me go you know what zemeckis is actually pretty decent uh because i'm not the biggest robert zemeckis fan but Every time I like look up his body of work, I go, yeah. he, he did do Who Framed Roger Rabbit, though, and that's like a perfect movie. He's got, <laughs> he's got something there. And I mean, even like 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 my go-to for like Zemeckis as a talented director is just like, look at Back to the Future. That movie's kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some there's some charm that that he has that he brings to that movie and and you know is it, the cast, you know, with with uh, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox just elevate that material like it's story-wise it is barely functioning <laughs> but like there's something really you know enthralling about the about the you know the the performance and the directing and everything in that movie that like uh, you got to give credit to zemeckis because anybody else directing that movie it would have been a it would have been a hot mess yeah i'm like uh i'm notoriously on record as like kind of a back to the future hater but even i will absolutely relent and say like no it's a well-directed movie and the performances are good and memorable i mean i don't know if it's just the 80s-ness of it that it's like a 
just it's one of those things where doing movies for this show sometimes you go to watch something and it's like not even great but it's like ah real actors shot on film <laughs> i'm in heaven right now like it's like all i need at this point to just like kind of take me there so i mean there's there's some charm about back to the future i i i'm glad to hear someone else say that it's a hot mess because i do think it's an absolute hot mess but hey it's a very formative movie for a lot of people so i'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade <laughs> but is there any uh thing you like to plug here? nope nothing right now <laughs> uh, andrew's a classic i don't have anything <laughs> to plug guest i always feel bad asking but i just always want to make sure any final things before we get out of here or should i just do my wrap-up oh, oh. Nothing, nothing else for me i love the movie it was fun uh fun chatting about this and yeah i don't know like i, I was I, I looked on on uh youtube i did like just typed in cool world and really nothing came up so i was like yeah it's, it's a it's, movie that deserves to be both appreciated more and just generally talked about more because it is such a a unique movie and there is there's a very clear vision behind it even if it you know isn't entirely implemented flawlessly even if it's not the vision that ralph bakshi originally set out to yeah to, to capture but it's it's still a movie that has a very clear and unique vision behind it for sure it's it definitely unique the operating word for sure it says a lot that as cold as I am on the nostalgia critic these days says a lot that I was looking for cool world content on YouTube and was like, eh, nostalgia critic put out a review on it five years ago. Sure. I'll watch this. And like, I was kind of like, eh, he said some things that I definitely agree with. And I understand, like I got a little bit of background for the movie and whatever, but yeah, not a lot of people are, it's definitely a movie that doesn't, it's, it's like you type in cool world on YouTube. It's mostly just clips from cool world. Right not like people actually talking about the movie. So it's fun to like really sit. And I, I just feel like, I certainly feel like your perspective on the film is a lot deeper 